0: Hey y'all, welcome back to a Tuesday, April 26th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Uh jam-packed show for you guys today. Uh, Jay Billis, yes, that Jay Billis of ESPN, former Duke player, uh, great ESPN college basketball analyst, is going to kick things off here. So, Jay was... Nice enough to give me a lot of his time to talk all things college basketball uh, from UNC to Duke to Shire to Jay Wright at Villanova to the tournament, Little Tennessee. We talked uh, a healthy amount of college basketball here on the program today. So I really can't say thank you enough to Jay for uh, allocating so much time to come on this very program. I greatly appreciate it and uh, very much enjoyed our conversation. And think uh, you will as well. Plus, it is Tuesday, so that means uh, a lot of NFL stuff for you guys. Uh, SI's Jared Bailey and 49ers Hub uh, Evan Swords comes back on the pod this evening. Um, so this was uh, this was a fun one uh, to talk all things NFL, 49ers, uh, the Steelers. If they'll still take a quarterback in round one, what's going going to happen with uh, Debo Samuel in San Francisco? Will they really trade him? Uh, five biggest uh, hot seat candidates uh, to start things off in the 2022 NFL season. Uh, we talked about uh, the Giants, if Kadarius Tony will be moved in New York, uh, Christmas games, uh, three NFL games on Christmas rather. And then of course, uh, Trayvon Walker maybe be in a lock for number one to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So jam-packed show for you guys today that I think you will very much like um So, don't forget, folks. You can watch this very program on YouTube. YouTube.com, type in the Chase Most Podcast. You'll find uh, every video component to this very podcast there. YouTube.com, the Chase Most Podcast. That easy, that simple. Go check that out today. Also, on the writing front, yeah, uh go read my writing. All my sports writing, entertainment writing, all that good stuff. Sports Renaissance Man. That's me. Sports Renaissance Man. Sports Renaissance Go ahead and type your name. In- in your email, hit that subscribe button so you never miss an issue of what I'm writing on a daily basis. Uh, also, if you have not already done so, go ahead and hit that pause button right now and leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcast so that other people can find the show, uh, why you listen to the show, um, all that great stuff. It would be incredibly helpful to... Uh, ensure that this show continues to grow. And don't forget, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at slash chase Thomas All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase
1: Thomas Podcast, the Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it.
0: All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast where I am now joined by someone. That I have listened to, read, I won't say watch, Jay, unfortunately, because I am not old enough. I, I am not old enough to have watched you growing up, but, but, I've seen clips, and, you know, you're pretty good. I must say, Jay Billis, you are pretty good back in the day, but I am so grateful that uh, you made the time to come on this very podcast this evening. Uh, how are you doing, sir?
2: I'm doing great. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me.
0: With how early you get up and how early those tweets... Go out. What what time are you going to bed these days, Jay? What uh, what time are you in the rack?
2: Um, it depends on the night. Uh, okay, but I I'm usually during the season, just you know after midnight. But uh, uh, it depends on what off season, you know mm. what uh, what I'm watching on Netflix or something that puts me to sleep. But uh, yeah, I'm around midnight usually.
0: What are you watching on Netflix right now? Is there anything specific? Are you a big Ozark guy?
2: I have yeah, I uh, finished the first half of the last season of Ozark. What'd you uh, think? And then. I, I like it, but I was convinced that I didn't know that was the first half of the season. They fooled oh. me on that. I thought, okay, well, my God, what a bummer that is. <laughs> um, you know that ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of looking forward to that. And then I just finished uh, season five of Better Call Saul. Uh, okay. which is which I liked. I was a Breaking Bad guy, so yeah. Better Call Saul was very good.
0: I think the the final seven episodes for Ozark come out this week. Either I think it's this weekend. I want to say... Oh, is that right? Yeah, I think the final seven. So I don't know what your schedule looks like the rest of the week, Jay, but you might want to go ahead and uh, prioritize seven hours uh, for for binging Ozark because I feel like the spoilers are going to be rampant. Like, I'm going to stay off Twitter uh, for the weekend. I mean, it's a good idea to stay off Twitter anyway. Uh, I think it's a good daily advice, but especially when there's something you want to watch because it's so easy uh, to to find the spoilers. Um, My first question to you, Jay... um, Now that you've had a few weeks to think about it, the NCAA tournament has wrapped up. Were you surprised after everything that was said and done that Kansas were the 2022 uh, champions?
2: Well, I mean, if you would have told me in February they were going to win it, I would have said, well, I I wouldn't favor them. I I Mm. would have favored other teams ahead of them. But once uh, I saw the bracket, actually, Kansas was the only team that I got right out of my final four. Hmm. Um, But and then when both Duke and North Carolina made the the semifinal and so much attention went to them, I I think I said on multiple platforms that I wouldn't mind being Kansas right now, you know, with the Hatfields and McCoys fight it out. And if they want to go Mm. to overtime, you know, knock yourself out. Then Kansas will play them on Monday night. Uh, it was sort of a bummer for Villanova that they lost Justin Moore uh, in the regional final against Houston uh, because that really compromised their ability to, to really contend for it. But, um, you know, it was, it was a great Final Four on a number of fronts. Uh, the teams were very good, obviously, um, and uh, the quality of play overall was good. Um, but uh, it, the, I think the thing that made it seem like it was an all timer was the fact that we had fans back for the first time mm-hmm. and it se- it seemed normal. Uh, and it's been a long time since, uh, since I, I think we felt normal from, I don't know what it was, maybe February on. Uh, mm-hmm. It felt, it felt pretty normal. Um, there were times in January you're worried about things and, you know, you're walking around and everybody's masked up and, and it, uh, I mean, it was better than it had been but but it was still compromised and uh but there was a real in new orleans a real feeling of normalcy which was kind of nice
0: do you like that they're playing the final four games now in football stadiums do you like that feeling do you think players are used to it at this point or do you think it actually does take some time for them to get used to playing in a football arena versus a basketball arena
2: yeah, that's a good question. I think I think it's way better than it used to be. Um, mm. They've done a great job with the sight lines. So when you're actually on the floor, it doesn't feel as cavernous as it used to. Mm. Um, so the sight lines for shooting are great. Um, and and that they, they figured out. Um, the size, I mean, you know, look, I, I've been uh, high up with some of our broadcast positions uh, mm. for studio stuff, and there's no way that the people in the upper... <laughs> um, upper deck can even see the game. I don't. I don't yeah. even know why they're there, honestly. But for the players, I mean, you know, every time the players walk out of the floor, they're looking around like they can't believe how big this thing is. I don't think it really matters. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's it's easy to understand why they do in those big arenas. It's money,
0: yeah.
2: And and they don't want to play in a twenty five thousand seat arena, which is plenty big. Um, most players don't play in in that big of an arena during the regular season. Mm-hmm. But but the, it's it's all for money. And look, I like money as much as the next guy. I don't have a problem with it, but, uh, you know, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to say this isn't pro sports when you see, you know, the way this, this whole thing's monetized, but, but it, it's all good. I mean, um, I thought it was a great, uh, atmosphere and, uh, you know, there are certain cities that the final four is just better in and new Orleans is one of those along with San Antonio. I still think Indianapolis is pretty good. Hmm. Um, but, but I'm a, I'm a big new Orleans, San Antonio fan for, uh, like you know a lot of i've been to a bunch of final fours over the years and i heard somebody say once like the best thing about the final four is you see everybody you know and the Mm -hmm. worst thing about the final four is you see everybody you know uh (laughs) which i thought was kind of funny
0: are you more of an extrovert do you or are you more of an introvert like when you see a lot of people out and people like oh that's j billis and like you said when you're out like do you do you get energized by those interactions or are you someone who just you're just like because this is how i am with an being an introvert like i i don't know do you, there's this like misconception when it comes to people who do broadcasting for a living and they think oh extrovert to do this kind of thing but it's it's not really true like the majority of my time is uh reading and uh just i'm i'm far more comfortable and in, uh and in, and just being independent is that how you are or do you enjoy uh that kind of just running into everybody all the time
2: i enjoy it i, okay. I mean i guess i'd classify myself as more of an extrovert mm-hmm. um
0: and I enjoy I
2: really enjoy meeting people. And the fact that, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to have this uh, sort of ESPN platform where people know who you are and and they're more likely to come up and say hello or strike up a conversation that that actually is helpful hmm. um, to me. It, it's a it's a nice icebreaker. And you want, I wind up meeting more people that way. And uh, and most every interaction you have with people are great. I mean, occasionally that, you know, you're walking down the street and people, you know, shout something. Sometimes you don't know, even if they just say, you know, Jay, that's a Jay. We (laughs) don't go go Wildcats or whatever. Um, You know, sometimes you don't know exactly how to respond to some of that stuff. And, Mm. uh, you know, I have to be a little a little careful with that uh, Mm -hmm. because you never know know, what people mean by certain things they say. But ninety nine percent of the interactions I have with people are, are awesome. And uh, whether it's in an airport or a restaurant or walking down the street, uh, you know, people want to have a picture or something. I I always, you know, unless I got to catch a plane or something, I mean, Mm. I'm I'm always happy to do it because it's not people are usually so nice. And uh, and I've met a lot of really, really nice people that we may have a connection. You talk to them, you find out, you know, you know, similar people or the same people. It's really, really kind of a fun thing for me.
0: Is there one thing from the tournament that you're still thinking about, like maybe just a certain style of play that you saw that you just, or a game, if it goes differently, you think the whole tournament goes differently? Was there one player and his performance that has made you rethink where they can go? Is there one thing in particular that you've been thinking about a lot since the tournament ended?
2: Well, it's a good question. I mean, I I think uh, what North Carolina did in the tournament was um, really, really interesting. I mean, I would not have given you a nickel uh, for the chances of Carolina in December or January. And then you could see them getting better and better throughout February and say, hey, they're they're dangerous. Um, But you're not sure. Like I wasn't thinking Final Four for them even then, Uh, probably until they beat Duke at Duke. You're going, man, you know, they play like this. They can beat anybody. And, you know, they, they got tougher. They, they were guarding and Hubert Davis was so positive with his team throughout the whole year when other coaches I think would have been down on their team. Um, he was positive with them. And, uh, and so, and then, you know, I I was struck by the fact that everybody's coming back, Mm -hmm. which isn't the, you know, it, it hasn't really been the norm in the past several years. And I don't know how much, um, you know, their experience, obviously their experience was good and they want to come back and duplicate it. But, uh, you know, you don't know how much like the NIL sphere has helped in that, uh, whether, you know, players are more likely to stay. It seems like we have more players staying now, even though there are Mm -hmm. a whole bunch that are testing the waters and going to the draft process like, like normal. Uh, it just seems like there are more, more big name players that have decided to come back. And I can't see that anything as anything but a positive for, uh, for the game, you know, people talk about, well, you know, I don't know as many of the players as I used to, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day when I was playing, when everybody stayed, cause there wasn't enough money in the game to leave, you know, now there is. And, uh, but, but, you know, you'd think those people would be celebrating the fact that all these players are coming back because there'll be more known commodities and more older players next, next year.
0: Yeah. I, I am curious because Kennedy Chandler and like, I'm a Tennessee guy and I'm here in graduate school at UT and, um, it, that was a name that i was just so curious about because keon obviously goes last year one and done and he's on team number two uh two years guaranteed uh, making about two mil um in the nba he's with the blazers now and kennedy is gonna be around that spot he's not a lottery pick but he's right on that fringe where keon was last year and you saw just like how much this team and this tournament meant to him and you we all think about the embrace that him and Juwan howard had after that loss that we don't have to get into at all. We don't have to talk Michigan, Tennessee at all. Um, but it was something where I was like, I wonder if he's the first like big piece where it's like, oh, if I come back, because there is not a lot of guard depth coming back at UT, um, PJ Edwards might have a big role uh, this upcoming year as a true freshman. And I'm curious to see how Barnes handles the, the guard rotation, especially early on. But like, you know, I mean, Tennessee could come up with 2 million for NIL for a year. We just saw with Oscar shibway getting the 2 million or around that uh to return to kentucky and i understand the uh it's different being a late second round uh draft guy versus a late first but if the money is close i wonder if we start to see more of those guys who are on the french lottery uh stay versus the the second round i don't know did you think do you think that's coming because you you kind of touched on it a little bit but guys like kennedy who are on the fringe where it's like i, I if the money's close why not come back for one more year
2: yeah, I, I think we're more likely to see that. And mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing. And, you know, people may call this, you know, kind of corny or Pollyanna, or whatever. But if we really do believe that education is a, a priority and a good thing for a young person, you know, why wouldn't we celebrate the fact that a, a player decided to come back, even if money was a factor in doing it? Because mm-hmm. they get another year of education and maturity and all these things we, we say we value. Um you know, the, the NIL space has been interesting to me because you know look, I've been an advocate for players being able to bargain for their their fair market value along with everybody else. They're the only ones that haven't been able to do it in our society, but especially in you know, in, in uh, big time sports. And you know, to me it, it's not a big deal. To others it seems like it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just don't see why why this is such a problem. Um it's new so it's a little bit different for people and but it shows like all the things that have been said over the years about well you know only 2% of the players go pro which isn't true mm. it's only true if you factor in division 2 II, division 3 and and NAIA all that stuff you know so you cast a wide enough you know it's it's like saying only a a, a select few go from high school to college i mean a ton right. of players go from high school to college <laughs> But if you, if you, you know, take every schlep that plays high school basketball and count them, Mm. um, it seems like a tiny number, but it's really not. So, you know, for me, um, I think it's nothing but a good thing. It's just, you know, people go, well, there are no guardrails. There are no rules. Well, there are no guardrails for what coaches get paid or what people spend on facilities or travel or all these other things. But we have to have a guardrail for players. I don't buy that. But but I understand the concern. Um, but, but if, if the players, if it means that players stay in school longer, uh, we all think that's a good, you know, we, we thought it was a good thing before NIL. I don't see why we would think it's a bad thing with NIL.
0: What is Villanova losing in Jay Wright?
2: Well, I mean, they're they're losing an, uh, not only an iconic coach, but they're losing a touchstone and one of the truly great people and leaders that the game has known, and it's certainly th- that the game's known in my time in it. In the la- you know, since the early '80s when I became a college player, um, I I can count on on one hand um, the the coaches that that I think are in that class, and Jay Wright's in that class. Um, he's one of the greatest ever. And, and when you balance out all the things that we would say we value in a leader, um, you know, integrity, consistency, you know, character, competence, humility, all these things, um, Jay Wright checks every box. And, and he's unbelievably nice and accommodating to everybody he deals with and treats everyone. I mean, it's a, it, he's a walking master class on how to treat people. And, uh, you know, that which which I think shows you can be uh, incredibly competitive and and a nice person at the same time. Those things are not mutually exclusive. Uh, So, you know, that one, one, it surprised me when I found out last Wednesday that he was retiring. Uh, And honestly, it it hurt a little bit. You know, it's Mm -hmm. one of those things that felt like kind of a gut punch to the game. Um, But, uh, you know, that's more of a selfish reaction that you know, I want, I, I've enjoyed interacting with him in the game. You know, he's been one of the, one of the, the guys I've valued most that I've I've been around and covered and gotten to know and become friends with. Um, but, you know, that's the selfish side. Um, I, I really do honestly feel good for him that mm-hmm. he's making this decision um, with his wife, Patty, That that it's forward looking. It's not I'm walking away from something, and and you know, I mean, I think he got emotional about it because he loves it so much. But um, but I I really believe he's so genuine and authentic, and and how he goes about things and how he explained it. Um, that there's a part of me that's happy for him that he's doing something that he feels he should do, rather than uh, being in a position. You know, and it's hard to imagine him being in this position, but so many coaches wind up in it where. Uh, you know, toward the end, you feel like you lost your fastball or you're being pushed or, um, you know, you're, you're not on top of your game. Um, he's kind of doing a Jim Brown, Sandy Koufax type deal of walking away while he's at the top of his game. And you don't see that very often.
0: Do you have a favorite hire from this coaching cycle? Do you have one that you just circled? You're like, Oh, this is, I think going to be a home run situation for both sides.
2: Ugh. I mean, I'm sure there are a bunch of them. Uh, I haven't really cataloged all that stuff. Um, you know, I mean, I know Billy Taylor just got hired at Elon. I think he's mm. going to do a great job there. I mean, that's not one of the high profile uh, hires. Um, I'll be interested to see, I, I think Mike White going to George is going to do a really good job. Mm. Um, it's a, it's a big build, um, there. And I think they have to put a lot into, uh, basketball. Um, it's got, it's a great football school, but it's not traditionally been a great basketball school. Um, but I'm a big believer in Mike White and his ability level. Um, but yeah, there are are a bunch of, you know, a bunch of new coaches. I mean, the sec, it seems like, you know, really turned over. Um, but you know, there's not one that stands out like last year when Hubert Davis got hired at, at North Carolina, I, I really did believe that was a home run. Did I think he'd be in the final four his <laughs> first year? I can't tell you that, but, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I knew he was the real deal.
0: Interesting. Um, I'll have one more UNC thing in just a second. But um, from your perspective, as I think you you see the game in such a different, unique way that I wanted to ask. Like when I'm watching film, or I'm watching teams, and I can tell you what Tennessee is running and the kind of stuff that they're throwing at people. At people. But from your perspective this year, who did you find ran the most interesting sets? Who did you enjoy watching the most? That like, oh, this is some really interesting offensive uh offensive just sets that they run consistently and that you were like oh this is different this is this is pretty interesting did you have a a team who did that more than anybody
2: yeah north carolina was at the top of that list Hmm. because they played so differently this year as opposed to last year um they they've always been uh especially under roy williams um a two traditional low post you know two low post guys and you know they ran a lot of box sets. They ran their secondary break. And you know I think one thing about North Carolina in the past is is they were the easiest scout in the country. You knew mm-hmm. exactly what was coming. The problem was you couldn't stop it. Right. And they they ran with you know they ran everything with such pace that they could wear you down, foul you out, uh, that kind of stuff. And and because they ran it with such pace, it, it was so difficult to deal with. Um, so when Hubert Davis came in, it was a, a vastly different way to play. Um, they were a lot of a lot of spread offense, multiple ball screen, um, and, and you know had a stretch four in Brady Manic, which they had not had there before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they had they had four men that could step away and shoot, but not not where you know their leading three point shooter uh, like Manic was, and they became more of a three point shooting team. Then still wound up rebounding. Um, I've always been a fan of the way Villanova ha- has played, um, even though it's not necessarily, you know, you're diagramming all their set plays. It- it's more the fact that you know the the it's like the old Chuck Daly thing, you know, spacing his offense, and they would they would space so well off of drives, their back downs, two footed jump stops, and pivoting, and then space off that, kick it, and then you know shot fake and drive again. And I was talking to, I think it was Alex O'Connell at the slam dunk three point, you know, and he had played at Duke and got to know him a little bit. When he went to Creighton, I was asking him about Villanova and he kind of shook his head. He said, man, you can talk, you can talk about guarding them all you want to. But he said, it's different when you have to actually do it, that, you know, stay down on their fakes, do this, do that. He goes, they're going to get you at some point because they're so disciplined. They keep doing it over and over and over again and um uh, so i've always been a big fan of the way they play it's not a fast-paced thing it's mm-hmm. more of a slower game um and and i don't think you know they, they play a similar pace to virginia but you know people criticize virginia for playing so slow and they don't seem to be as, as critical of villanova but um it's a and man that that you go to their practices and you know i'm sure you do i i i'm always mesmerized by it that that's uh that's a team full of men and they're incredibly well trained
0: do you think there's any drop-off or the fact that there is a lot of continuity um with the coaching hiring with the coaching change that obviously he was a lead assistant uh at nova and knows jay right well and was only at fordham for one year but do you see a lot of changes like what you saw with hubert davis from roy williams or do you think it will be a lot more familiarity and they won't drastically change how they play
2: I don't know. That That's a good question. Um, you know, what, what you hope for is that, you know, Kyle Neptune is as authentically himself uh, as as Jay Wright was mm-hmm. that, you know, just because Jay did it a certain way doesn't mean that Kyle needs to do everything the same way. I mean, I think they want to keep the pillars of their program the same um, because they're amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean they have to run all the same stuff and all the same out of bounds plays and all that stuff. If they change anything, you know, the Villanova fans will go nuts. I don't think (laughs) they will. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, you just hope that, and, and, you know, Kyle's been a head coach, so it's not like this is his first rodeo, but you know, I think there, there's a tendency to, um, believe that, Hey, you gotta, you gotta keep things similar and, and all that. All you really have to do is 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 win, um, mm. and people are going to like what you do. Uh, uh, and that's that's easy to say and hard to do. But I I just ho- I hope that, and I'm sure they will because Villanova fans are great. Mm. But I hope they just let Kyle be himself, and because uh, because uh, you know being him is is more than good enough. He doesn't have to be Jay Wright. He just has to be himself.
0: What's going to be the biggest difference between Shire and uh, Coach Kai?
2: Well, their demeanor is different. Mm-hmm. Um, John is not, uh, uh, you know, Coach K is, is he's pretty emotional.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and, and John is not without emotion. I'm not suggesting mm-hmm. that. But they're different personalities. And so similar to what um, what I was talking about with Kyle and uh, Kyle Neptune and Jay Wright, you know, John's been around the block already. He's not been a head coach yet, but he, he's more than prepared for this and I'm a huge believer and a huge supporter of his, um, he, he just has to, like, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to be, you know, like comparing the two. Um, they'll always look to, wait a minute, you know, they didn't do that when Coach K was there. But <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, similar to, to what I had mentioned, like just because Hubert Davis does it a little bit differently than Roy Williams doesn't mean, you know, he's turning his back on Roy's way. Um, he's just incorporating more of himself and the way he sees the game and, and, uh, uses his personnel. And I think it'll be the same for John. Um, you know, John just has to be him and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, he's a great guy and he's got a, a great way about him with players. And, uh, and not only will he figure it out, he'll, he'll do extraordinarily well, but, you know, like the comparison game, you know, places have been through this before, whether it's when John Wooden left UCLA or Bear Bryant left Alabama. I mean, you can you can pine for the old days all you want, but it's over. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the next thing, you know, you have to kind of get on board with allowing allowing the next guy to to be him and uh, and and support it and enjoy
0: it. It's like the wire. Uh, the thing about the old days is they the old days. Yeah,
2: that's true. It's true. People pine. People pine for it, but uh, but it's over, and uh, and it's time to move forward.
0: Yeah, no, we see it at Tennessee all the time. Like the hypo offense was just. Uh, it was a lot for a lot of hardcore, long time Tennessee fans who grew up with Fulmer and just thought the defense wins champions crowd went through a tough year this year, but eventually they got on board. But it took some time to like get over the uh, the change in philosophy, which uh, I think is moving in the right direction. But In terms of UNC, Jay, one of the things that I think is interesting, because you bring up, they're bringing everybody back, right? Like, that's cool. It's a great story. However, what we just saw, I think, with Gonzaga and Baylor, who were still 1-2 following their season last year, where it was clear that Baylor and Gonzaga were the two best teams in college basketball a season ago. They were pretty clear the best two teams in college basketball again this year for the majority of the year. And then, of course, the tournament happens and injuries and stuff like that play a role. But... Ultimately, they don't get back. They don't even make the final four, and I wonder with these kids. It's it's interesting because it's just so much more difficult than I think an Alabama or a Clemson running it back in college football or even in college baseball, the College World Series. But like, it's going to be really hard. These the UNC was kind of a blip, or they came out of nowhere this past year, and this is not a bunch of NBA guys who uh, came out of nowhere la- or um, who came out of nowhere last year. I think it's going to be a lot more arduous. Then I think a lot of people when we throw it because it's such a good story, but I don't know. I just I think back to Baylor and Gonzaga, who were really, really good this year, and they looked like they could go back to back. And it just shows like it's really hard to get there once it's going to be even more like insanely difficult for them to replicate what they did a year ago. Right.
2: Well yeah, and but part of it was Baylor had some really significant uh, significant injuries down right. out the stretch. They lost Jonathan Chamois Chachwell mm-hmm. for the season, then LJ Cryer was injured, didn't really play in the tournament. So they were compromised. Right. And they didn't have their, their full complement of players. If they did, you know, you, you certainly would have favored them to to reach another final four. Mm-hmm. But that's sorta of the interesting part you, you you brought up about, you know, Alabama, and Clemson and football and all that stuff. Um, you know, in, in football, um, they choose who their final four is going to be and basketball doesn't do that.
0: You still have to run the gauntlet again.
2: Yeah. You have to go out and and earn your way there. Not, not that, that Alabama didn't earn their way to the the college football playoff. I'm not suggesting that, but if, if basketball did it the way football did it, we would have had, you know, Kansas and, um, and Baylor and Gonzaga and who was the other number one seed. Um, I can't remember, but you know, they, they, uh, Arizona. Yeah. So they all, they all would have been in the, in the college football playoff, Mm -hmm. you know, because they were the, the, the best teams in the regular season, but they had to go play and in basketball. I mean, you know, you you can't just physically dominate. Uh, you can't in some games if the, the, if it's allowed, but, um, you know, you got to make shots and all that stuff. So you're, it's more susceptible to an upset, perhaps than football is. Mm. But I, I believe this: when they go to twelve uh, in the college football playoff, you're going to see some upsets here and there, and uh, and people are going to they're, they're going to say, "Oh, we have parity now," um, when they probably have it right now, but we're not allowed to see it because they don't play the games. You know, how, how does Texas A&M beat Alabama in the regular season? But it could never happen in a playoff. Come on, man! Of course it could. Same yeah. thing in basketball, but, but, you know, we've got a bizarre system in basketball where, um, you know, you got to play six games to win a championship and there are six single elimination games. It, it's a, you know, it's a, an interesting way to crown a champion. And, and the truth is we don't always, first of all, we don't have the 68 best teams in the tournament,
3: mm-hmm. but,
2: but we don't, um, you know, the best team doesn't always win in, in, uh, in basketball, um, it's a lot harder to win. You know, people say anybody can win this thing. I don't think that's true. Yeah. Anybody can break through in their bracket and maybe make an elite eight or the St. Peters, can, where it's like yeah. they can
0: get they can make it pretty far, but they can't they can't they can win. The drill. Yeah. yeah,
2: I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, at least we haven't seen it yet. Um, so I felt like there were eight teams this year that had a chance to win it, which was a lot more than last year. To your point um but you know different years you have a few more teams that may be capable um you know anybody can fall down and get beat
3: mm. but
2: uh but you know you're not gonna see all eight of them lose it's kind of like in a golf tournament when they're you know somebody's five strokes behind
1: mm. well it,
2: it, it depends on on how many guys are ahead of them or how many golfers are ahead of them mm. um you know if, if you got a long list the chances of making up that five stroke Difference against a long list is is different than if it's just you know one one golfer ahead of you with a five stroke five stroke advantage.
0: Um, was there one team that like it, it doesn't have to be Kim Palm or where you saw uh, just coworkers and other folks who also were just uh, really well versed in in the game and who was good and who wasn't that the numbers liked and that they all backed the numbers that this team was one of the best teams in college basketball this season? But you're like I just when I watch them I don't. I don't see the same thing I don't see the same story was there one team in particular that you all you struggled with this year where you're like I just I don't get it with them
2: uh that's a good question i I, I can't remember thinking that way I mean there were some teams you thought were a little bit you know might have been a little bit overrated mm-hmm. um, in that regard could they you know did you really think they were a threat to win it um, you know i I was you know, I, I, still think Arizona was, hmm. was way better than a sweet 16 team, but, but they ran into to Houston mm-hmm. and, uh, and you know, what are you going to do? I mean, that's a, a powerful, you know, powerful, tough team. Um, but, but, you know, Arizona had a, and, and to your earlier question about, you know, who did you enjoy watching and all that stuff? uh Arizona ran great stuff, mm-hmm. and you know they were always one pass away from a ball screen. You know their offense was very similar to Gonzaga's in a lot of ways, like their ball movement was so good. Um, you know they 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 had incredible transition. You know their big guys really ran the floor, Tabellis and Coloco um so I, I was a huge believer in them and you know they were another team that had an injury i mean kirk mm-hmm. reese was not healthy at the end of the year had he been yeah you know, i think he had two games in a row where he's one for ten yeah and um um you know had he shot the ball at his normal rate you know i think there they, they were would have been a final four team
0: so i've got two questions for you from stats by will i don't know if you're familiar with stats by will uh tom hart sec network favorite uh great he has great college basketball insight And he sent two questions that he wanted uh, your perspective on and uh, if that's okay. Yeah. All right. Number one, this latest NCAA tournament closed with the lowest three-point percentage since the three-point line was introduced and had the second lowest field goal percentage as well. As someone who played the game and watches more basketball than almost anyone, do you feel that that's due to quality defense, poor shot selection, the new ball, or something else?
2: Uh, I think it was due to the physicality of the game. Hmm that, that um, the game, and look, the, the NCAA supervisor of officials differs with me on this, and mm. has said so, both publicly and privately, but I think it's undeniable that the game became way more physical this year relative to the last several, and if you look at um, scoring, uh, we had the lowest scoring Sweet 16 since 2015, and that's when we really made a lot of movement, you know, made a, a concerted effort for freedom of movement, Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, calling the game and, and, and the rules as written. Um, you know, we didn't change any rules, but we, we enforced the rules uh, more vigilantly. And we saw scoring go up uh, without a significant uptick in fouls or free throws. Um, but this year we saw fouls actually go down. Fouls called. Well, fouls committed, I believe, <laughs> were way up.
3: Mm-hmm. Fouls
2: called were, were way down. And it and it did not come with a you know some sort of corresponding jump in three point attempts. That means well they took a bunch of threes, therefore they they weren't getting fouled. Um, you know it, we have a penetrate and pitch game, uh, and it's a it's more of a spread game uh, than it has been in the past. But but I think so. We had the lowest scoring Sweet Sixteen in the Elite Eight. Only two teams of the eight Elite Eight teams hit seventy points. Only hmm. two four of the elite eight teams scored 50 or fewer in their in their elite eight games. I mean, half of the elite eight scored 50 points or fewer, which includes, you know, Villanova and Houston playing a 50-44 game. Yeah. 50-44. And look, I, I get it like you know, it's just one data point. So I'm not mm-hmm. suggesting that but 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 when you have when you have that you know, that sort of, those sort of numbers from the sweet 16 and the elite eight, I think sometimes, you know, we, we had, uh, we had a great game in the final four with Duke and North Carolina, but when does that game not great? Yeah. Um, and sometimes that can mask, um, you know, the overall. And so I, 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 I believe, and look, I, I, reasonable minds can differ on this. I'm always willing to listen to the opposing view of this. And, and I'm, know I'm, I'm putting it out there that the NCAA supervisor disagrees We we, we have served on the same competition committee for several years. And he's adamant that the game's no different this year than it was in past years. Um, but I, I don't agree with that. Uh, but, but I would say that that's the, the primary reason we've seen more off ball clutching and grabbing and mm-hmm. uh, chucking of cutters, things like that. Um, more physical on the ball um and more arm bars on ball handlers things like that 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 had been called in in past years that i don't think was called the same not in not every time but but i don't think it was called the same way this year i don't blame the officials for that they're doing the best they can um but but you know their their bosses the supervisors have to take some responsibility for for that um But but I would I would challenge like I'll sit down and watch film with anybody and show them what I'm talking about. And I think it's undeniable. Um, But, um, you know, now where it goes in the future, um, we'll see. Um, I'm starting to think that because there's so little movement in some of the rules changes that I think need to happen. You know, it's pretty clear we're never going to change the charge block rule Mm -hmm. and uh, until we do. We're going to we're going to it's going to be in my view, too big a part of the game. Um, but you know, there's no movement. The, the NCAA supervisor says he can't teach the, uh, the different rule, the, the NBA rule of, you know, a secondary defender having to be in place and set on the gather mm-hmm. or the upward motion of the offensive player. And heck, if they can't teach it, I'm okay. But, but they can do it in the NBA. I don't see, I like, I don't, I don't see how that's, I, I mean, I, I can't say I disagree because I'm not out there teaching it, and I, mm-hmm. but, uh, it, it it defies my my own logic to to believe that that it just can't happen. So there there are a lot of barriers to to changes in the game that I think would make the game better, but um, that that's sort of the system we have.
0: Did the majority of fans and in, in your mentions and readers and people you talk to though, did they prefer? the way the game was called this year? Or do you think there was more pushback to uh, the game being called differently?
2: Well, I mean, I don't, you know, it depends on, you know, the level of sophistication of the fan. Like, hmm. so most, most fans would say, well, I don't like a game where a lot of fouls are called. Mm-hmm. Well, neither do I. I mean, but, but I don't like it when, when there are a lot of players stepping out of bounds, but it doesn't mean you don't call it when they, they step out of bounds. Right. You know, player steps out of bounds. We don't go, well, he just barely stepped out of bounds. (laughs) You know, we say quit stepping out of bounds Mm -hmm. and when guys commit fouls, when players commit fouls, we should call it and they'll foul less. You know, I, I use the analogy of speeding on the highway Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, if, if the speed limit is 65, And, and like, I'm not asking for cops to hand out tickets when people are going 67 or 68 of the 65, Mm -hmm. but when they're going 80, you need to, you need to ticket that. And if you ticket that people will slow down, that Mm -hmm. that's my belief and experience. And I think it's that, that analogy is, is, is apt for, for basketball, Um, you know, in football, and this may not be completely accurate, but it's just a feeling I have, you know, when, when uh, uh, an official throws the flag in a football game, calls holding. Um, you know, I, my sense is that that fans aren't going, "Oh my God, quit calling holding." They're going, "Stop holding." <laughs> mm-hmm. They're going, you know, our team is undisciplined. They're getting too many penalties. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing in basketball. Like, not every player is good enough, talented enough, athletic enough to guard every other player. Yeah, and so if you can't guard them, then you're going to have to bring a double. Mm-hmm. Or you're gonna have to play. You're gonna have to do something to disrupt without doing it. You know, you can't just physically impede mm-hmm. it, it, because it's illegal to do that. But I think too much of that has been allowed. And again, it's not every game. It's not. Um, you know, the games are still good. Nothing ruins the game. Nothing makes it unwatchable. I'm mm-hmm. not one of those guys. But but it would certainly be better. Like I don't think there would have been a lot of cards and letters complaining if if. Scoring was the highest it's ever been in the NCAA tournament this year, but but the fact that it was the lowest since 2015 in the suites, at least in the Sweet 16 and, and the Elite Eight, um, that that should be a, a red flag and concerning. Doesn't mean we have to, you know, um, uh, you know, storm the the, the offices of the uh, NCAA with torches and pitchforks to to get action. But but I think that the those in charge need to be need to be concerned about it.
0: The second question from Will. Uh, What returning player do you feel you're higher on than the consensus, i.e. a guy you feel is a legit All-American candidate that no one is actively talking about? Wow.
2: Um, I don't know. I'll have to think about that one. Um, You know, the game's so different now. Like... I'm in the, I'm in the mode right now of watching which players are declaring for the draft. Mm -hmm. And so like that, that's why I kind of laughed, you know, you put out a, um, after the final four, we put you know, put out a early, way too early top 25 or top Mm -hmm. 10, I think I did for next year. And I had thought, well, a number of these Carolina players are going to leave like Brady Manic obviously can't come back, but a number of these guys are going to leave and and Mm -hmm. they all came back. So, I mean, you know, I would probably put them preseason number one. Um, I do think I do think the one thing that surprised me a little bit this year was Armando Baycott had not only an All America season he had a a historic ACC season. Mm-hmm. I mean he averaged like 14 and a half rebounds in conference um, and you know he had I, I can't remember what it was 31 or 32 double doubles on the season after having won in the championship game and and that that's a record. Uh, at North Carolina in the ACC, I mean that's more than Tim Duncan had at Wake Forest uh, mm-hmm. his last year. I mean that, that was a stunning thing, and I, I was a little bit surprised. I was a little I, I was surprised he didn't win ACC Player of the Year. Alondis Williams from uh, Wake Forest did, and, and very deserving, but I thought I thought Baycott would get it, and I'll be interested to see if he you know his first team All American going into next year because I think he's going to be every bit as productive next year as he was this year. He's just a, a relentless workhorse that, I mean, that kind of productivity, you don't just you know, have a good month and do that. That, that guy mm. was consistently excellent all year long, and there's no, no reason to believe he won't be that and more next year.
0: We'll end on this. Um, I watched every Tennessee game. I have my own perspective, but based on what you saw and how the season ultimately ended, did you did you feel like this season could have been different? I It's just funny when you were talking about the defense and just letting things go and the physicality this year and the low scoring. That was, I think, the impetus for so many Tennessee fans. Like, if we're going to do this in the Rick Barnes era, this is the year to do it where it seems like we have mastered the muck it up ball. Like, we're going to bring you into the mud and you're going to like it. You're going to deal with it. And we're going to see what happens. And... For me, I mean, we don't have to get into, like, why Tennessee was probably under um in the tournament, but they just, it, it did feel different this year in Knoxville, and this team really did figure it out, especially after Kumwa, unfortunately, went down, was just that, like, Barnes was able to kind of shore up his big-man rotation and kind of figured out who he could rely on and who he couldn't, and it just, it worked. Zakai was comfortable as the sixth man, like, you just looked at the, the four guards with James at the four, and you're like okay they have the versatility they can go big if they need to they can go small if they need to this collection of young talent veterans like this is it like this is everything seems to be coalescing the right way for coach barnes and obviously the first sec tourney win in decades but it obviously they ran into just uh, dickinson losing his mind in the michigan game where it's like (laughs) of all the times like that was the game we needed kumwa for was like that particular moment it's like you wish you could just bring him back it's like all right we need you on dickinson here and then by the way we got to go back to what we were doing before that but we just need you right here um i don't know it it's gonna sting and i think it's still sitting with a lot of tennessee fans like this was a really really tough tournament loss and it felt different this year in knoxville
2: yeah and that that you know when you have that great of a of a season and win Mm -hmm. your conference championship and um, undefeated at know, home yeah and especially after you know i did the game where tennessee went to kentucky and got their doors blown off
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh i think they were down by 30 during the game if i remember right we don't have to go into and, that, one. that was the, the kentucky well, they, they
0: shot like 80 percent from no they played the great yeah yeah they played great insane
2: um, but 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 you know tennessee didn't let it define them mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of times that can be a um, you know, a, a shock to the system where you don't really recover from it. And, uh, and not only did they recover, they beat Kentucky after that and hammered them pretty good in Knoxville. Mm. Um, and, you know, that SEC tournament win was, was eye-opening. Um, I, I did after, like, I, I had them, I had Tennessee against Texas Tech in the Garden when mm. they had to repaint the rims after that <laughs> game. There were so many missed shots, and still they had a chance to win. Um, But, you know, you always kind of wonder, are they one bad shooting night away from a loss? But that's true of a lot of teams. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I thought they were they were fully capable of a Final Four, but they were like a number of other teams that were just outside the very top tier. And meaning they could they could get beat by by a number of teams. And uh, and they ran into one of them in Michigan. But, you know, similar to like the SEC, I thought was the best league in the country. Mm-hmm. And they and they had one team make it to, what is it, one team to the Sweet 16 yep. in Arkansas. And, and they wound up in the Elite Eight before they lost to Duke. But, you know, I don't know how to process that. Was it just, you know, I know what the analytics in our eyes told us about what the SEC did during the regular season. It's just tough to reconcile, kind of like the Big Ten did last year. They they were the best league last year and then laid an egg in the tournament mm. as a league. And that's what happened to the SEC this year. I just don't think it was representative of how good they were overall. Um, so I don't know how to process that one. But I'm not worried about, you know, I mean, for Tennessee, they're one of those programs that, you know, you don't have – you don't have a shot every year, mm-hmm. like maybe maybe, you know, Duke or Carolina or some of these places they, they can legitimately have a shot every year. Gonzaga has a shot every year to do something special. Um, it doesn't feel like Tennessee's had that over the years. But mm-hmm. uh, but I think they've established a, a program now where they're going to have a shot um, more often than than ever. And uh, I've always been a big believer in Rick Barnes. Um, he's one of the one of the great guys and one of the truly you know outstanding coaches so i i don't doubt they'll they'll be you know they'll be competitive year in and year out
0: absolutely um we'll end on this coach your favorite like the college basketball is over you've got time uh players are still declaring we are still figuring out lsu still gotta find like 10 more guys to fill out their roster for this wall uh shout out to miss uh oak ridge's own uh coach mcmahon there but um, what, uh, what do you do? What is your getaway? How do you recharge your batteries after running the gauntlet in the spring? What do you, what do you do? Is it just golf or do you dive into a lot of books that you've been wanting to read? What do you do?
2: Yeah, I have been diving into, you know, some catching up on, you know, things that I've missed, you know, a little binge watching a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, I hang out a lot with my wife. We, we, have we've had a lot of things that piled up from the season that we pushed to April and sometimes you got to be a little careful with that. You know, you tell, you tell people, Hey, we'll do that in April. So book that in April. And then you wind up having your whole April filled with obligations that yeah. uh, are back to back to back. And I, I did a little bit of that. Uh, had my 30th law school reunion. We attended, you know, it was, so I was running around a fair amount. Um, but I do, I play a lot of golf with my friends cause I like to be outside. I really enjoy playing and uh, trying to catch up with, uh, with family um so there's a lot of that uh but then you know we'll get back into the routine of the draft the nba draft coming up um and uh, and i but i tried to get you know i went to the masters and um, oh so i'm trying to do stuff like that that yeah. uh, just to you know recharge a little bit and you know be a fan and enjoy myself that way
0: how was that did you get to see tiger up close like how was your master's experience
2: It was great. I've been I've been a a bunch before. Mm. Uh, I only live two hours away from Augusta. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, so it's a pretty easy trip Um, and it's fun. You know, for me, the Masters is is more of a social event like you don't get to see as much golf as you think. Mm. Um, uh, But for me, being six, seven, I can see over the top of most of the gallery, so I don't have to worry. I only saw Tiger for a hole because we didn't want to we didn't want to fight the crowd following him yeah. around on Thursday. So I saw him tee off at eleven, um, and he looked really good, um, and that was that was fun. Uh, so we hung around, you know, ten and eighteen, uh, watched tee shots at one, and then went to Amen Corner and 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 saw uh, tee shots on twelve, uh, which is always really cool. And then watching some of the tee shots come down thirteen. Um, but just walking that property, how one, how beautiful it is, how hilly, um, and the topography is incredible. And then, like the Masters, to me is a uh, almost uh, you might say the NCAA could learn something from that. Like if 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 the NCAA put its its uh, values where its rhetoric is and did things like they wouldn't have as many commercials during the games and they would limit, you know, they would limit the, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't charge as much for food and all this stuff. They'd make it a better experience, but you know, money's important. Money's, money's clearly not the driving force for Augusta national golf club, mm-hmm. it, it, uh, you know, it's, it's three bucks for a chicken sandwich. And, uh, I don't even remember what it was for a beer, but it, I mean, you're going, really, that's all it was. No, we had all this and they're going, no, mm-hmm. that's all it costs. Um, it's just a, a wonderful experience, and uh, and you know everybody's well you know well behaved, and um, there it's a pleasure to be there. Um, but but I I just love going there; it's a
0: blast. There you go, Jay. Is there anything we can check out coming from you uh, in the not too distant future on ESPN.com? Uh, anything on the podcast front? Uh, what what can we plug here as we wrap up?
2: we're still doing bald men on campus. We mm-hmm. had, uh, we had Tom Izzo and, uh, Leonard Hamilton today, Seth Greenberg, Alfonso Ellis and I, uh, so we, we hashed through NIL and, uh, you know, the transfer portal and, and all the difficulties that are, are going on in the game. But, um, you know, I'm hoping, uh, you well, know, I know we're going to do this. We're going to, you know, we're going to be focusing on all the good stuff coming up. You know, the idea that so many of these players are come back and, um, You know, there's there's a lot to celebrate in the game, and uh, we're looking forward to that part of it.
0: There you go, Jay. Thank you so much for giving me so much of your time this evening. I greatly appreciate it. Um, Good luck the rest of the way, and uh, we'll have to check back in again soon.
2: Look forward to it. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, we're back. Developing the NFL is back here on the Chase Stone Podcast, where I am now joined. By fellow NFL guys, Evan Swords, whose voice is kind of here. Twenty-five percent of Evan Swords is here; the other seventy-five percent uh, was left at Coachella this weekend. Evan, how are you?
3: Um, you know, I don't know that I can tell that answer that question without lying. So, I'll just <laughs> say uh, things are things are rough right now. Mm-hmm. It's not looking good for your boy.
0: Well, there were two things I saw over the weekend. One, you were in an IV. In like what looked to be an ambulance at one point this weekend and then part two was this you losing your mind screaming like you were running in place it looked like a little bit of i'm not okay by my chemical romance and i was like oh evan's just uh this is gonna be an amazing monday night podcast because there's no way he's 100 percent." but you're a fighter and you come to work even when you're not feeling up to it unlike a certain 49er so there you go
3: yeah right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I will not be get asked to be requesting a trade from the Chase Thomas podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, what up, Jarrett? It's good to see you and have you like semi regularly kicking it with us. I appreciate you. Jarrett's uh, become no.
0: one of the the co like the co off season guys. He's I think he's in he's in the Chase Thomas podcast. Evan Swartz family. I think. Are you okay with that, Jarrett?
1: Yeah, no, I'm very okay with that. I just want to say Swartz looks like the uh, like the walking embodiment of the word Coachella. So that makes perfect <laughs> sense that he was losing his mind there. So, well, okay. Overhead. So
3: first, first and foremost, I will say, uh, I've never been to Coachella before. Uh, I had a blast, mainly because I was with some of my friends that I don't get to see a lot. It was great to see them. Uh, chase, for clarification: What I actually did is, so we went to uh, we went to Coachella with my friend who's a doctor. Mm-hmm. So she has access to IVs, and okay. when you drink a lot, IVs are really like kind of a really quick way to maybe curtail a, a hangover, right? So we were in an RV. You know, Coachella is really expensive, uh, so we went to like this. You have to RV. pay to get into Coachella. No, but I mean, like, just even renting like places. Ah. So, so like we there, there's an RV park that specifically only rents out to Coachella goers, which is kind of cool because they have a pool and a DJ, is fun. Um, but yeah, so like to stay in the RV for three days was fifteen hundred dollars. is insane. It's a nice RV, Jesus. but still. Uh, some hotels had it $1,500 a night for Coachella. Uh, mm. But so I had never gone before. I don't really listen to a lot of the music that people at Coachella were playing. But the one thing that I, as you all probably are not surprised about, was very excited for was the Emo Night uh, pre- presentation. And, and, you know, mm. I, I kind of talked to you guys a little bit about it. But for anyone who's unaware, Emo Night is, a, I think it's an awesome story. These literally was two guys who lived in Echo Park, L.A., which is kind of like more of the hipster, you know, kind of like dive bar area of L.A. Who were just literally like at a, di- you know, at a dive bar one Tuesday night. And they're like, do you, do you guys mind if we like play our music on like an aux cord or something? And they're like, "I don't, sure, mm-hmm. I don't I don't care. Um, so that became them just every Tuesday night showing up and playing emo music. And then more people started coming. So they started doing Emo Nights every t- Tuesday night. Um, and then the Emo Nights started to get bigger and more popular to such a point that they were like, all right, well, we have to, like, rent out a space to do this because it's just too many people and for a little dive bar. So they then started, you know, renting a, 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 an actual space uh, to do Emo Nights, which then grew again. Mm. Um, and then it became so popular that, it, you know, all it was was literally these two guys on an ox cord playing, like, an emo set. Right, your, your most popular, like, Yellow Card Only One, My Chemical Romance, I'm Not okay, okay, like, all those, like, really, like, old school, like, nostalgia emo songs. So then it got so big that they started having surprise guests where, like, actual members of bands from, like, you know, back in the day would show up and, like, do surprise get sets or, like, play a song or just be a part of the, you know, the party um, and then Brooklyn in New York started doing an Emo Night, which uh, Ryan William, William Ryan Key from Yellow Card was, like, uh, one of the main people to, like, show up, put it on, help, yada, yada, yada. And so this got so big that then every single city almost in the country, major city in the country, was doing Emo Nights put on by this, these two guys. Um, and so, you know, they got invited to come to Coachella, which... You know, the headliners at Coachella was The Weeknd, Swedish House Mafia, Harry Styles, like, you know, and it's hilarious. Like, they played at the Sahara tent, which is, like, the big, kind of, like, the spectacle tent, right? It's, like, one of the bigger, uh, you know, areas for music. So, it's just these two guys, and they're wearing, like, these outfits where it's, like, we're not supposed to be here. And they're they're just kind of, like, you know, we're, we're doing this for the people that don't have... You know, that have never had a seat at the table when it comes to emo music. For the people like like me, literally Evan, who listened uh-huh. to the music by myself all my life. Because no one else listened to it. <laughs> you know, I would go to concerts by myself. I would drag girl the girls that I was dating at the time. Those poor girls. Um, you know, and it was really dope to just like, you know, see the rep- representation. Uh, so I, yeah, that video of me is me being, you know, around 20,000 people listening to some of my favorite music i thought that was pretty
0: cool that's i mean man that sounds awesome that's uh, that's a fun weekend like i couldn't do any of that i won't lie i get just uh co- festivals and concert going it's not really my jam I, really? it's not not really my deal i can't
1: yeah, i haven't just, been to a lot mm-hmm. of concerts but um the few that i've went to in the past couple weeks have just been out of what have you gone to um, well, like Evan, I'm also into like the whole emo, like pop, punk, metal scene. So, mm. um, I saw, hardcore. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like new metal stuff. So I saw the Amity Affliction like three weeks ago. And they're Fire. one of my favorite bands, dude. We were in the pit for that one. The closest I've come to crying at a concert ever. It was Amazing just amazing
0: the pits where you just can get trampled and things happen in that middle you got to be on your a game
1: yeah for for the most part though like i would say that metal mosh pits are pretty respectable if people like fall down like usually they'll be like okay let's stop for a second they mm. get back up and then they just go back to shoving um that was my first experience in a metal mosh pit um it was it was exciting to say the least um so that was a lot of fun and then last was the last week or the week before um I went to see Motionless in White and Ice Nine Kills, and Ice Nine Kills is my favorite band, so I was very, very happy with that. So, yeah, see, a good I, two weeks.
3: I like those bands, and even that is like almost a little too far on the like aggressive side. <laughs> right. So, mad respect to you. Uh, I, I can definitely appreciate that. Um, Chase, if there's one thing I could imagine, like, you might be the only person I could think of to go to a festival. You mm. know how, like, you'll, you like, walk up to a DJ and slide him $20 and be like, hey, can you play this song? Mm-hmm. I could just see you, like, sliding a $20 bill across the table and be like, hey, could you turn it down a Scooch? <laughs> it's a little, little loud. <laughs>
1: Just a hint. Oh that's You're not hilarious. wrong. I've done that
0: Like I've literally done that. I have absolutely Can I tell like,
1: you <laughs> if this side measure 10, can I just tell you about this lawyer? I've got his picture behind me when I do my podcast. It's you'll you, you guys will be fascinated by it, but it'd be great. Oh, that's funny.
0: Shout out to my guy Ben Matlock. He's he's here as he always is. Um no that uh, yeah, that's that's not wrong. Um but so there you go. That caught me off
1: guard, Evan. What music you do you listen that. to, Chase?
0: Uh, my favorite's jazz. I listen to a lot of Coltrane, Davis, um, Bill Evans' Trio. Um, those are probably the big three for me. But I uh, love jazz. Explosions in the Sky, I love a lot. Um, I
1: feel like I've heard really... of Explosions in the Sky. Yeah,
0: they're... I, I write. I like them a lot. Um, and then I like some country. And then... Uh, like a lot of then hip hop too. So I just I bounce between those three, but primarily definitely jazz. Like I listen to jazz throughout the day and then Explosions in the Sky is kind of like a really good alternative sound, but it's like there's no words, but it's so good. It's it feels like it feels like jazz and country and maybe a little bit uh alternative all mixed together, but it's it's such a unique sound that I I listen to it a lot. I don't s- I don't listen to I'm a lot of music send with words. You,
1: I'm going to send you a song later um, mm. that I think you'll enjoy cuz it's got like a really sick saxophone riff in it mm. and it's amazing. It's like a slower song too. It's just very peaceful. That's my jam. That He's is enjoy. absolutely my jam. I think you'd I enjoy like... the band Chase Atlantic. Okay.
3: Maybe. I think yeah. he, I
1: think Chase would enjoy Chase Atlantic.
3: Yeah. I uh, I feel like every every like artist in my life that I've ever like been drawn to is like higher energy like you know, like get mm. whatever, and I feel like Chase is just the opposite. Like yeah. he wants to—he wants to relax when mm-hmm. he listens to music.
1: You would I'm, be so big in like the '30s, of like dressing up all dapper, going to like a very fancy like jazz club with a cigarette hanging from your yes. mouth.
3: I would—I guarantee yes. he would snap his fingers better than anyone. <laughs>
1: oh my god, he's he got that toe tap down too.
3: A hundred percent snapping those fingers away.
1: Absolutely.
0: For sure. It's just, that's my jam. My dad uh, is a big jazz guy, and he, uh, I grew up just, like, I would go to football practice with him playing jazz in the car on the way in. Like, that was his, he loved, was it 107.5? It's not a jazz station anymore, but it was for a long time growing up, and that's what we would listen to when we were in the car. It's like, he, he loved his jazz, and that's just kind of kind of where it went, is I just got into jazz through him. It's amazing how much of your musical tastes and preferences come from, what your parents were into, or what you were listening at a certain age. And here, since uh,
1: uh, since Evan shared a video uh, mm. before the show started, I'm going to share a picture of me in seventh grade when I was going through my big Hollywood on dead phase.
0: Okay, oh, God,
1: I'll send, that, I'll send that in <laughs> the group chat. I'll have to find the picture, but it's in here. And i get the
0: YouTube thumbnail for this. Episode. Please
1: do. Actually, you know what? I'm I'm somebody who can definitely laugh at myself, so I would appreciate that greatly. Actually, it's it's. It's horrendous, actually, is what it is. Here it is. Oh, good lord!
0: I need to find the pictures of me in See, like that... sixth grade with the frosted tips and the earrings. Oh, yeah, that was me. That's the phase I never, I'm in I now. N-
3: <laughs> I never dressed the part. Like, I, I never. I never dressed the part when it comes to like the music I listen to. Mm. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! That's great.
1: Oh yeah! My seventh grade girlfriend got me a Hollywood and Dead shirt, and I thought I was gonna marry her. oh wow there you Uh, go big oh wow yeah
0: i like this um well things i don't like are things that uh evan doesn't like devo samuel's trade request out of the san francisco 49ers which does not have to do with football reasons but evan on the positive news front john lynch was like i'm i'm good on the trade market uh, with Debo Samuel. Like, I'm, I'm just pass. not going to do that. Like, a hard pass. Um, he's too good, and we're not getting uh, fair and equal value for Debo Samuel, and we're not uh, – we're just not doing that. And uh, I don't know. Like, this is – this was just such a huge out-of-left-field trade request. Like, we don't see this in the NFL very often, especially someone who had an MVP-type season and is such a unique Swiss Army Knife guy that, like – Terry Kill ran its course still in Kansas City. Like he still there was a lot more time and a lot more um mileage on uh, on the tires with him in Kansas City versus where Debo is, but this is I mean, what is what is the state of Niners Nation at the moment, Evan? Uh days removed from the Debo trade request.
3: Yeah, you know, so I always like to give you little nuggets that I hear cuz I I never want to put them on Twitter mm. cuz I just I don't like being the source guy. I don't want to pretend like I am. I'm not. Mm. Um, but I do hear things. Uh, and so, the the I, I you know, I think everyone was kind of just trying to figure out the why. You know? Why does Debo Samuel, who in the first contract, you know, in his first go with the 49ers from being a rookie till now, along with uh, his head coach, who is the, within his first contract, you know, obviously he just got extension, have they been to a Super Bowl? Mm. right and now they have Trey Lance coming in which is one of the most exciting uh young quarterbacks in the NFL why does Debo want to leave and one of the biggest reasons that I've heard is that he doesn't like Santa Clara Hmm. and you haven't heard that like people aren't saying that right now that's not like common knowledge uh but what a dumb reason (laughs) grow up you're 45 minutes from San Francisco, it's one of the greatest cities in the country. Like, grow up. You you're a football player, okay? You're not you're not you a travel agent? Who cares? Go. I mean, you go to Miami in the off season. Like, you want to go go to Miami? You want to get the ball thrown to you by Tua? Like, cry.
1: Oh man. Not to oh, mention man. the fact, like, green, like. San Francisco doesn't have to like do right by him. Like it's not mm-hmm. as if he's been, it's not as if he's been a guy like Jimmy who's handled like very public. He's going to be gone eventually soon with class. Like Debo's been very public. Like I just want out. They could very easily send him to Detroit if they wanted to for the mm-hmm. right price. So you don't like Santa Clara? Well, enjoy catching passes from Jared Goff in Detroit, Michigan, my friend.
3: Well, and the, the parallel that we want to look at is George Kittle. Mm-hmm. So. All intents and purposes, the San Francisco 49ers are apparently an absolute nightmare to do contract negotiations with.
2: Huh?
3: Paragmath is known for constantly doing aggressive, team-friendly deals. The no, the cap Colin Kaepernick contract was notorious of like basically being a two-year contract where they have an out after two years. Every year after that, mm-hmm. it was kind of like a, a like a, a year-to-year contract, and they always try and do that. You read uh, Mike Silver's piece. Uh, about George Kittle, um, you know, and it was notorious. And Mike George Kittle was one of the first 49ers in a long time to get a big contract that didn't have that in in the contract. So I think the George Kittle situation, you saw George Kittle, who deserved to be play, paid the high side in in the NFL at the time, absolutely electric player, the guy, the guy you want on your team, right? And I think that they all have the same similarities to Debo, right? Those are two players... That are difference makers, that have great attitude, that make everyone else around them better. They work their butt off. Those are guys you want on your team. And when George Kittle, who obviously probably wasn't enjoying the contract situation, he stayed quiet, he stayed patient, he let his agent handle it. And you know there was you know there was time and rumors that he was really unhappy, uh, and that's fine. But then you look at Debo. And throughout the entire process, apparently Debo got really offended by the offer, which mm. is, you know, the starting contract negotiation. say it's 19 million, right? He's gonna want 22, 21, 20, whatever. Um, you know, that's the beginning. But apparently he allegedly might've gotten upset about that, right? Mm. Doesn't like that he's not getting as much guaranteed money. And I can understand playing hardball. I can understand all of those things, but Debo has completely had a terrible attitude throughout the entire process. He doesn't want to play there. He demanded a trade two weeks before uh, Jeff Darlington announced the other day when he's like, Debo wants out. Like, he, I knew that two weeks prior. Mm. And, I like, Debo Samuel is about to have Trey Lance as his quarterback. Kyle Shanahan is the, the, the offensive genius with a, a team that has Trent Williams behind the line. The running back situation is going to be significantly better. He's not going to need to do that running back stuff next season, and he wants to leave. I
1: think that's maybe What's going it. on in the NFC West, you man? Like, do you think that? Or, oh, go ahead. Do you Jerry. think that that might be an indication of how he feels about the possibility of playing with Trey Lance? Hmm.
3: I would think that would be possible. You know, if yeah. everyone on the team wasn't vocal about how exciting he is, George Kittle today goes. Uh, you know, he was asked on the, the was it like uninterrupted podcast?
1: Uninterrupted. Or,
3: yeah, 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 And he was like, what do you think about Trey Lance? And uh, who would you prefer? Like, what if you had a choice, what would you choose? And he goes, honestly, I'm 50-50. They're two very different style quarterbacks. I love Jimmy. Everyone on the team loves Jimmy, by the way. Everyone mm-hmm. has always loved Jimmy. But then he goes, but, you know, you play with Trey in practice, and you're just like, wow, this guy can do some things that are insane. I would love to have him throwing me the ball. And it's like. Debo wants to be more of a pure receiver. You know, the thing that uh, Mohamed Sanu said, my camera's like, the thing Mohamed <laughs> Sanuz said in, in the interview, too, he goes, Jimmy's a three step guy, right? Three steps and the ball is gone. Trey Lance is not that guy. If you're a, a wide receiver, who do you think you'd rather play with? Probably the guy that's going to give you the more deep bomb or have more time to throw you the ball. Mm hmm. I would think so. I mean, I don't know. But, like, nothing about Devo's logical
0: me. Well, we, it, it's just interesting because if the, the, we don't see very often that it's, like, a a non-football reason, right? Where it's right. just straight up, he understands that he's valuable in this scheme. He understands that this is a very good partnership uh, on the football field. He understands that he is an MVP-type player playing this way. But we don't get this very often where he's like, I can understand all that, and I'm still just like, no thanks. thanks. We just don't see that in this league. It's such a unique situation that, like, now that John Lynch has put his foot down and just said, yeah, that's great and all, but we're not moving you. This isn't happening. So I am so curious to see what this summer and this fall looks like because, Evan, do you think that they draft a running back really high just to appease Debo, where it's like, we're we're going to phase you out of uh, – the backfield like we already have um a multitude of backs but like we're going to continue to invest in the backfield to show that we're we're taking your request um mightily and we want to ensure that you're happy here but you you have to understand like i don't know how you convince someone who they like they understand that switching the way they play and becoming more of a pure receiver means that you're less valuable to the team. Like you're a less valuable guy to what we're running because right now you're a Swiss army knife. And like most teams in the league do not have a Debo Samuel. And part of that is like, we utilized you in that way. A lot of teams would not have been able to pull off what the 49ers have pulled off with Debo Samuel and they've done right by him to this point And they've done everything right. And it still hasn't worked And it. You just see that, uh, in the NFC West where Mitchell Swar- Schwartz uh, had a really big dunked-on tweet on uh, Patrick Peterson who went on another podcast talking about what uh, Arizona's done and building around Kyler and that they just haven't done enough of all this. And he's like, have they not? Like, can we go through? They traded for D-Hop. They did this, this, and this. And, they like, they've gone all in. They have gone all in on making Kyler Murray happy and giving him a scheme and personnel that fits what he wants to do. So it's like, what more did Kyler have in mind? Uh, they traded for J.J. Watt. They've done all of this stuff to really try and win w- during this uh, cheap contract window for him. But I don't know. I just don't know what you do with guys like Debo and Kyler who I just feel like these two teams have done a lot right for them and have just pr- created an offense that is con- that is conducive to their strengths. Right. And it's still not enough.
3: Well, that's what I mean, like, and that's kind of the big thing that I think we've all kind of like been confused about with Debo. It's like, okay, you want to be the highest-paid wide receiver in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually, if you're that good, you're gonna get that. Like, I mean, to, is he better than Tyree Kill or Devontae Adams? I have no, I don't think so. But whatever. Okay. Well, the argument for why you're so valuable is because of last season. Mm-hmm. And you might not like being a running back, and I, you know, I, I from the beginning said I don't like using Devo as a running back because. You want your players to last, and he's not gonna last. I don't care how much he weighs. Running like that is just not, you know, that's why running backs have such a small shelf life. And so I'm like, you get your value because you showed how good you can be no matter what you're doing. But now you're saying you don't wanna run, okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't want you to run in the first place, but now we're, we're looking at contract negotiations. You don't want to do the thing that sets you apart from Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams, because if you're just asking to be a receiver, then you're not better than them. So wh- how are you going to ask for more money than these players? I I would say, as a peer receiver, they are significantly better than him. I don't even think it's close. And
1: that's so, that's the part that you know I've seen a lot of people um, comment. Oh, I can get two first for Jeebus Samuel. No, the hell they won't. Yeah, unless they're unless whoever they trade with like. So I did a piece for Sports Illustrated about how the Panthers could be in play for this. Go check that out, by the way, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody commented on it, saying, "Oh, easily two firsts and Brian Burns for Debo and Jimmy." I'm like, if Scott Federer is dumb enough to do that, then David Tepper should fire him tomorrow. If that's what they give up for them, like, yeah, Debo's had a you know one fantastic year, but to throw that, like, we saw what Devonte Adams was traded for if he's not going for two ones, Devo Samuel sure as hell isn't going for two ones. Right. So I, I just think that some people are a little bit in over their heads with what they think that they'll get back. I think it'll be closer to something of a mid to late first round pick with, you know, a couple uh other draft capital. It's not going to be two, two first round picks if they do decide to trade them.
3: The Panthers should give us their first round draft pick. We'll give you Devo. And then we'll just slide Jimmy in there too. So then- also
0: send over Christian McCaffrey. Like, uh, that he's Christian be, McCaffrey I, I, should he, be in. I, he's,
3: a, he's a waste. I don't want, I, I Christian McCaffrey?
0: It. You wouldn't take a flyer on Christian McCaffrey in Shanahan's game.
3: What's the point? He's going to get injured.
0: Yeah, but you have a plethora of backs. That's the I whole would rather, situation in I would, in I
3: would rather let Elijah Mitchell and Trey Sermon... Yeah. Trey Sermon needs to play football.
0: How about four games apiece? You just... Ma- <laughs>
3: <laughs> nah, man. As a guy who drafted Christian McCaffrey, number one, and I know fantasy football stupid when it comes to these kinds of conversations, oh, but like it just shows it's like he got injured immediately
1: Mm, again
3: i I like you know i was a i was the first i said from the beginning i go i absolutely don't want christian mccaffrey like he's not worth it like he's not that good i was very wrong he is that good but then he got injured all the time so you know it's 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 a fantasy world we're like oh let's pair him with kyle shanahan so he can last two games you know, it's like having Raheem Mostert, but he's injured more. So I would. We have Elijah Mitchell. We have Trey Sermon. Re-sign
0: Coleman. Get two out of there. I think we can add up to seventeen if we Excuse really me? put our We're minds not. to it. Did I think we can get seventeen games.
3: Coleman?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sign Tevin yeah. Coleman. What's Michael the Turner? Bur- Michael the Burner Turner. See if we can get a game out of him. Um,
1: and Eventually. He'll what's, Chris, it out. what's CJ2K up to these days? <laughs> you could probably sneak him in there for a little bit.
0: Yeah. Exactly. It's I think T.J. Uh, he was so much fun back in the day.
1: Najee uh, Davenport. I, I wonder if he's doing anything in terms of like the Packers. T.J. Like, Dockett.
0: Maybe get him some goal line opportunities. LenDale um, White. <laughs> Jarrett, what uh, what's new with your Steelers? What uh, what is the scuttlebutt about ahead of the
1: draft this week? New with the Steelers. Well, you know, a lot of people were really in on Pittsburgh signing Tyron Matthew. Um, mm-hmm. He's still not signed anywhere. So they brought back Terrell Edmonds on a one-year deal, which I'm very happy about. Um, And I think most Steelers fans are really happy about it, too, because Terrell Edmonds, like, when his rookie year and his second year, everybody was like, oh, good, another guy who they take in the first round and doesn't really amount to anything. They're not going to extend him. He's going to be gone. Um, And then these last two years, he has been so – he's shown so much improvements. So there were points last year, especially at the beginning of the year, when the Steelers had – they, they were still trying to figure out what they were going to do with nickel cornerback. Like They were you know, uh, factoring in seventh-round rookie Trey Norwood. Um, they were trying to figure out what they were going to do with Akello Weatherspoon. Are they going to put Arthur Millette there? So that left them putting Minka Fitzpatrick in the slot a little bit more often. And Minka was struggling because he's wearing so many hats on defense. Terrell Lemon stepped up in a ginormous way throughout the first quarter of the season. And when T.J. Watt was down, he was their best defender. So... You look at what he's done over the past two years in terms of really getting better as a coverage safety. He's a guy who can tackle as well, too. Uh, I'm, I love the fact that they brought him back. It's a one-year deal, so we'll see You know how he plays on that. And if, like, if he keeps shining, it's going to be hard for them to pay both Minka and Terrell Lemons because if Terrell Emmons keeps getting better, he's going to garner big money. They're not going to pay two safeties. So odds are this is probably his final year in Pittsburgh because they're going to have to do the Minka extension this year. Um, so... I'm glad that they brought him back, though, especially for you know, going into a season where they can just build up their defense. Um, if they decide to draft a guy in the first round even better, you know, they can just focus de- defense-heavy throughout the rest of the draft, along with a receiver in there, too. Um, but I'm happy that, that they've decided to bring back Terrell Edmonds. Um, he's gotten better over the last two years, and like I said, there were times last year he was their best defender when T.J. Watt wasn't on the field, so good, good, for, uh, good for Terrell Edmonds, good for the Steelers' secondary Look, we can talk about Mitchell Trubisky all we want. We can make all the jokes we want. I'm okay with the Mitchell Trubisky signing. I'm saying let's see what happens. In all likelihood, they're, they're going to draft a quarterback in the first round. I would be very shocked if they didn't. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I think that's where everybody's kind of leaning it, right now. Is it
0: Malik Willis, or is there still a chance Pickett? It? Is it? just Malik? What if Malik is gone? What if Malik and Kenny Pickett are gone when the Steelers are drafting in the first
1: round? Even if Kenny Pickett's there, I would hope to God that they don't take him. Yeah. Um, Now, if Malik's gone, then, you know, it comes into, okay, is it going to be maybe Matt Corral if he's there? Mm -hmm. Um, Desmond Ritter, maybe. But I think that it's going to be, obviously, their guy's Malik. They want Malik. Mm -hmm. Um, I would be okay if it's Matt Corral. I would be okay if it's Sam Howe. Desmond Ritter at 20 is a reach. I don't want Kenny Pickett. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's any of those other few guys, that's cool. Um, but, if, I mean, if they're not high on them and they decide it's Malik or no one, then I mean, we could see interior defensive line. Like Cameron Hayward isn't going to be around forever, even though he's still fantastic. Um, and there's still questions about what's going to happen with Stefan Tewitt going forward. Tyson Alowallo isn't young either. So, I mean, they, they, they do have an aging uh, starting defensive line. So, I could bring in a guy like Jordan Davis into, into, the, into the picture uh, in the first round. Um, so, we'll see. I do think it's quarterback, though but if they want Malik, like I'm seeing all these mock drafts, some of them have Malik falling to 20. I just don't see that happening whatsoever. Like, remember you, remember you remember last year when uh, I think it was Charlie Cass said that Justin Fields is going to fall to them at 24? Ooh. I was like, look, Charlie, that's lovely wishful thinking, but I would be shocked. So
3: Malik is also, a, you know, every year there's a quarterback. They're like, not going to be a quarterback that early. And it's like every year a quarterback starts all of a sudden jumping up in mock drafts. And that's Malik Willis. I wouldn't, <clears throat> I doubt he's, what, maybe he'll get drafted in top ten? Oh, yeah.
1: Like, and we look at the teams, like, there's going to be, obviously, teams that trade up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we look at teams that would look to move back. I think a team like the Giants would be okay with moving back. They got two picks inside the top ten. Uh, if the Jets wanted to move back from the ten spot, they'll probably stay at four and take sauce, which is, you know, smart. How dare um, they! Hold on, so I want sauce in Atlanta.
3: I, yeah. I, w- I want Sauce Gardner on my team. I don't care what team that is. Like, yeah. I if he could play for the Trailblazers, I would be <laughs> down. That guy is just so dope. He's
0: to very be fair, some of those last few games that the uh, the Blazers were throwing out was insert made up player X uh, for the last twenty. Did, so he could have been.
3: You li- you guys lost me
1: at basketball. I'm sorry. <laughs> I
3: didn't I didn't watch a single NBA game this year. I went. Did you not? I went to one, so I watched it live, but I didn't watch on, on TV a single M- NBA game this year.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. The more you know. Yeah. Um, well, we'll see. I just, I, I want to read this. Uh, I wonder if this scares you a little bit, Jared. So, good folks over there at Colong TD, Tyler Dunn and Bob McGinn. Uh, do really Tyler great. Dunn's
1: fantastic, by the way. I do love Tyler Dunn. He's,
0: yeah, he's one so. of the best NFL writers out there. Like, he's I just, agree. His feature stories are so top-notch. And I, I just cannot recommend his work enough, so go check out Golongtd.com if you have not already done so. He also brought in Bob again over there, a longtime veteran um, NFL journalist as well, for the site. but he said, uh, talking to a uh, scout, I believe, um, he said to Bob, quote, "I'll tell you right now, I don't like any of these quarterbacks in the first round, one uh, evaluator said this month. You can have all of them. Just backups." If any of those guys are starting for you, you're not going to the Super Bowl. That is, if I'm a team that's thinking about it or like if you're a Steelers fan, you hear that. And there are evaluators all around the league that are like, if you draft any of these guys, they're bridge guys. Your best case scenario, you're drafting a bridge for the next guy to keep this thing afloat. I I don't know. That would That would scare me.
1: Well, I mean, for every quote you can find like that, you can probably find another one who says that they're extremely high on one guy, superstar yeah. in the making, stuff like that. So I, I think that happens with you know every draft, every quarterback, just about. But no, I mean, for the most part, I agree with them. Like Bucky Brooks did a mock draft where he didn't have a quarterback going yes. in the first round. So I think that that's the most not realistic, but how it probably should be. Like Malik Wills is the only one. I'm so high on Sam Howell. Like I don't understand. Let me get on my soapbox for a minute, okay? <laughs> Sam Howe had two very good years at North Carolina. And last year it wasn't his best, but it was still, still fine. The offensive
0: line was horrific. Exactly. As someone who
1: watched North Carolina football, it was horrific. And so how is someone like that, after two really good years and then a year in which all the cards were stacked against him, especially the offensive line losing two really good running backs to the NFL mm-hmm. draft, takes a, a little bit of a step back but still plays well, all of a sudden looked at as maybe he shouldn't go in the first round. But when a guy like Kenny Pickett has three bad years as a starter and then one really good year, all of a sudden everybody's like, that's a top 10 pick right there. Like, how is that not, like, if Andy Dalton had, like, a really good year last year, no one's going to say, well, my God, Andy Dalton's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. No, we're going to look at his previous history everywhere else and be like, okay, you know, Andy Dalton kind of had, you know, a good year, but he's still Andy Dalton. Why is it not the same in college? Mm-hmm. Why why do we why do we do this? It's so annoying. So, yeah, I'm still high on Sam Howe. I think he's, when you look at the two that I would think would be first-round guys, Malik is in that conversation. Sam Howe's still in that conversation. I want Matt Corral to be good um, just because I like watching him play. But for the most part, none of these guys, if we're just going, you know, pound for pound, best players in the draft, there's very few quarterbacks that should be first-round That's
3: round That's what's infuriating about the draft is, like, you're paying these, these scouts and these teams hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars for this process. And we are all adults in the room going, none of these quarterbacks should be taken in the first round. <laughs> and there's going to be three or four. And there's no reason for it. But it keeps happening because teams are desperate. Coaches are desperate. Owners are desperate. It's like, dog, take Trey Lance because of that ridiculous ceiling. Sure, take Justin Fields because he's an elite prospect. But if you're looking at Kenny Pickett, it's okay to take him in the second or third. Mm. It's fine. We're not going to judge you. You don't well, have to reach. I think part reach. of it
0: is just I think a lot more teams are okay with like even if it's a reach and we know it's a reach, let's just throw a dart because who cares? We can just take another one next year where I think it's become a lot more normalized and accepted to just burn a first round pick on a bad quarterback because it's like, who cares? If he sucks this year, then we can literally just Josh Rosen him and move on. Like, I was who cares? just about to say
1: that I think that Steve Kime Cliff Kingsbury, and the Arizona Cardinals have definitely changed how quarterbacks one, how long they have to impress, mm-hmm. and just how it's looked at in the draft. Like they were more than willing to be like, okay, you know what, Kyler Murray looks like he's gonna be a superstar. Mm-hmm. Josh, we know you just we just took you in the first round and we stacked the cards against you have fun in Miami. Good luck mm-hmm. to you. We'll take Kyler. So, and it's not fair, like, in a large way, like Josh Rosen's case, it's not fair in a lot of circumstances because the days of guys like Carson Palmer going one overall and red a year, those are done, by the way. Mm. That's not going to happen again. So, I don't know, man. Like, it's one of those things where if we had to put a pinpoint into where it changed, I think that that is a very good way to – uh a very good place to pinpoint it is uh, the Cardinals going quarterback in round one back to back years.
0: What uh, I want to ask you this about Trayvon Walker? So Trayvon looks that he might now be a lock to go number one overall. His odds to go number one went from plus one hundred and fifty to minus two hundred. Oh, yeah, I was going to say he's tonight. the odds-on
1: favorite now, wasn't he?
0: Yes, that is incredible. So that means the Jaguars like it. It's not just a, a what if. This is like a, oh, this is happening. I don't know if you read Breer's piece today in SI. Uh, He spent some time with Shag Khan and uh, the Jags. And he, like, went back down to Jacksonville, and he's there all week to sit in with Balky and Peterson to see their process and to see how they're getting to that number one pick and how this is all going to work. But it, it seems like the cat's out of the bag that Walker is going number one, which is just going to be so interesting and that puts i mean this is the best case scenario for detroit i think where they get to pick between thibodeau and agent hutchinson Where they're like oh we just get the best pass rusher in this draft like that's what we get no matter what which is a great thing for detroit but jacksonville oh man if this is really happening this is a, a, a gigantic swing big boomer bus type deal where you're betting on the lack of production on the upside and just the physicality tools, where you're like, he'll put it all together with our group, but man, they I don't just know.
1: Swung and missed so many times. Yeah, remembering the draft, like they took Taven Bryan and that didn't really work mm-hmm. out. Um, who was they take? They took Bortles early. Didn't they take Tyson Alualu really early too? Yes. I was, yeah, I was going to say first he, rounder. Um, yeah. Who
0: was another? They had another defensive lineman who. Or they had the not even just him. Who was the left tackle who bust? Was that Fisher? No. Who was that that they hey, had? Cam Robinson? Uh, well, Cam Robinson was another he, one. But yeah, he's a fine. couple years ago, Luke Jokel. Luke Jokel. Luke Jokel. Yeah, Jokel. That's it. Yeah. Good lord, man, this is sad. Like there are so many. Examples I mean, it's not to say that they haven't done well. Yeah. Like
1: they they did draft Jalen Ramsey. They did draft mm-hmm. Josh Allen, who looks to be a promising edge rusher too. So, but for the most part, man, and look, we. This is why. Fans are showing up to games wearing clown masks. Mm. This is why people mock the fact that Trenton Baalke still has a job and in that front office when everybody is turning up the pressure and wanting him to go. And when you've got you know a, a head coach in Peterson who wants to go with one guy and Baalke who's trying to you know convince everybody that he's right, there's gonna be some. You know, kind of some separation there.
3: The one thing I will say, and I don't know if I've ever said a nice thing about Trent in my life since he left <laughs> the 49ers. He drafted Alden Smith, and mm-hmm. he looked at the athleticism in Alden and kind of some of those traits where a lot of people wanted other guys. And I think, you know, the worst thing that you could say about Alden is who he was as a person, right? You know, it's unfortunate to say that, but he had a lot of problems. He still does to this day. If he's looking at Walker and he's going, I see another Alden. I don't, you know, I would almost feel a little okay about that. But like, once again, what elite athletic talent, and you're gonna take him over Kay- Kayvon Thibodeau? Like, I I don't understand why people, I you know, I is it do they look at Aiden Hutchinson? They're like white guy. He's like Bosa. He's another Bosa. Hell yeah! Like, Kayvon's better.
0: Well, Kayvon's more of a... Man, it's so interesting. Um, I don't know. I think Hutchinson's the safest pick. Like, I think Hutchinson's going to be... He's
1: probably got the the highest floor.
0: Yes. And I think if you're Jacksonville, if I was running the Jags, I'm like, we're going highest floor guy for a little bit. We're, We're going highest floor. We're getting just guys we can count on right away to raise the bar here in Jacksonville because we cannot keep taking big swings right now. We got Trevor Lawrence... Let's just go and fill the cupboard with competent guys who can contribute right away. That's how I would look at it. Um, but I mean, I get the the appeal. But like, if you play out the careers of Hutchinson, Thibodeau, and Walker a hundred times, like I think Hutchinson has the best career over the majority of those hundred, and then Thibodeau is somewhere in that right there, right behind him, and then Walker is like. A huge mixed bag. I would probably put him way down there where it's like, eh, I don't know. I think Walker is, he's boomer bust. And I look, if I'm a Jags fan, I'm terrified. I'm excited because like he, if by all accounts, he might be the most talented player in this draft, but talents, not production. And we'll see. We'll just have to see. And you're betting on your Jacksonville personnel department to develop this man into um, an Alden Smith, and maybe, like Evan said, maybe he can be, and Balky has a track record of identifying guys like that, but I don't know. I would, I I would have my doubts. See,
1: I want to see who does fall to the Giants, because they're going to take yeah. offensive linemen with one of those two picks, assuming Charles that they Cross, hold on to both of them. Yeah, either Cross or Evan Neal, one of those two mm. higher-touted tackles. But if they wanted to go edge with that second one, like if one of those guys slips, like assuming that you know, Thibodeau falls a little bit, or for some reason, Aiden Hutchinson falls a little bit. Pairing one of them with Wink Martindale, who might be the best assistant coach hiring of the offseason in New mm-hmm. York, that would be fantastic.
0: I'm ba- I completely every- forgot, by the way. I love that you mentioned that because I had forgot. I thought he retired, and then I he pulled back up. Like, I was mm-hmm. reading something in the Giants, and I was like, Wink Martindale, what is this? And then I went back through, and I was like, did Dabble hot? Hi- what? Yeah. I had no Dabble, recollection of Dabble that happening.
1: put both of his ginormous testicles onto the table and said, I'm bringing in Wink Martindale, and it's going mm-hmm. to be glorious. Everybody knows how big I am on the Giants this year, by the way, and I'm sticking to that. That can be my bold prediction of the year, how high I am on the Giants. Wait, what's the prediction, though? Do you think I have like, them the as a playoff, playoff team. Yeah. I, I
3: love the Giants as a, as a long-term team. I do think that their hires are incredible. Daniel Jones is not winning football games.
1: I'm, I'm giving Daniel Jones one more year.
3: You can give it to him. That's fine. You can give yeah. him one more year all you want. He's not yeah. going to do anything with it.
1: I think he will. I think he'll prove think you wrong. I think
3: that you're going to see... Like, I think DeBole is going to do such a good job. Such a good job. Getting the absolute most out of Daniel Jones. And that'll be seven wins.
1: I think hmm. it'll be... Like, and again, I've pointed this out before. I'm, I'm you know, repeating myself, but... If they can stay healthy on the offensive side of the ball, like they are still loaded in terms of young talent there. If Saquon Barkley can stay healthy, they're trying to trade Kadarius Tony, by the way. Now, we'll see where that goes. Um, so, and look, by the way, if that's because, you know, he is, I'm, I don't know the entire story behind it, but if that's because he's, you know, maybe a problem in the locker room or just doesn't want to be there, then sure, don't have hostages. Have guys that want to be there and get him out of there as soon as you can. Um, but still, I mean, they've still got talented guys on that offense um they need to fix the offensive line still they'll do that early on in the draft and look Daniel Jones' rookie year 26 touchdowns 12 picks I mean that's uh, you know a solid start off to it didn't have a lot of help in the process this is the most help that he's had hopefully they stay healthy good coaching staff good GM I'm hoping for the best for the Giants
0: we'll see um what do y'all make of three Christmas games this year so this is the first time this has happened um I don't know. I have I thought that you were asking if
1: we wanted to play, like, a Christmas trivia game, and I was like, I mean, it's April, but sure.
0: You're always thinking trivia. You're the trivia guy, Jared. I am. I am. Um, I don't know. What uh, What do you think of it, Jared? Do you like three Christmas games this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big basketball guy, so I don't really watch um, mm-hmm. uh, the Christmas basketball games. I'll watch the hell out of three football games. That'll be exciting. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I'm excited. Did they... I think they showed like three teams that will partake in them. Did they not, or am I crazy? For oh, I thinking hadn't that? seen that. I hadn't seen teams. I think, being... I think I saw it on their Instagram post. Like they just showed hmm. like random logos. I think it was the Packers, the Saints, um, and one other team. But it was like going down the left hand side. So I assume those would be teams that are participating in them. Uh, but, I don't yeah. know.
0: I just I'm I'm hesitant to put this on, guys with families and things like that it just i can agree it just sucks like i just feel like that's one of the ones especially with guys with young kids and things like that it's just i understand they're compensated well and all that kind of stuff but like some things you can't really pay da- for, for me it. right yeah i don't know i i don't know i'm
1: mixed about this thanksgiving's one thing like you mm-hmm. can always just do like thanksgiving like a few days before yes. and have family over christmas though man like i agree i'm a, bit, I'm a big christmas guy too so mm-hmm. like that's i can 100 percent see where you're coming from with that where that would be just a bummer Like I know, if I was on a team and I saw that we were playing on Christmas, I would be. If it was home game, that's maybe one thing, but if it was was away, I'd be bummed. Yeah,
3: I mean, you guys, Mm -hmm. I'm sure the millions of dollars that they all make will do a little bit to balance it off. Like,
0: but that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's a give and take. Like you're making a lot of money, you're well compensated, so this is you're living your dream. You're -hmm. at the
3: highest level in sports, and I think, I mean, in the end, we need to all stop pretending like basketball is anywhere near the sport that. NFL is preseason games do better than M- NBA playoff games. It's just not even competition. And so the idea that basketball has always had like the the Christmas Day slate of games is annoying. I don't want to watch basketball. No one cares about basketball.
1: I care about basketball. Here, here. I care about basketball. I'm sorry, Chase.
3: You care about basketball because your NFL team's the Falcons.
0: How dare you? Wow. I care about um, I care about basketball because I am the sports renaissance man evan that means i have to know a little bit about everything it's it's everything kidding. no i don't have to but i i like to um who's your favorite basketball
1: great. team have we ever talked about this? Jay? oh
0: it's the hawks yeah
1: i'm oh, okay yeah you're
0: an
3: atlanta guy yeah
1: yeah there's Doc Rivers right there. Trey Young's face pisses Hold me off by the way. Can I just say that.
3: I love nope. Trey. Lung. I love Trey Young. There's Doc Rivers. There's just really because I, I just because I obviously love Damian Lillard and I see so much of Damian Lillard and Trey, not necessarily his game but the mentality.
1: The way that Trey Young shoots the basketball annoys me, the way the faces he makes when he thinks he's tough annoys me. I just I just think I don't Trey's like tough. Trey Young. No, Trey's a, Trey's that dude in a lot of ways you would know more than i would so i'll I'll take your word for that he just i don't know his face bothers me when i every time i look at him i'm just not having a good time a
0: lot of people feel that way especially Knicks fans Uh um speaking of the giants though i wanted to pick your brain on this so Kadarius tony who uh stand out from florida strong percy harbin vibes coming out of uh gator country but Tony is another Swiss Army Knife guy where he's been in a bad situation with that scheme and with just the dumpster fire that has been the New York <laughs> Giants uh, throughout his uh, NFL career, his early part of his NFL career. But he is apparently available to be moved, unlike Debo, where it's like, no, you can call all you want. We're not answering the phone. Like, it's going straight to voicemail. But uh, that's not the case in New York. Uh, Buffalo uh, Bills South is what we're calling them. So they... Uh, <laughs> Like they that. might be moving Tony. What uh, What do you think of where Tony might make sense? And what kind of trade package
1: uh, makes the most sense for Kadarius Tony? Tony for Debo and Jimmy straight up. I'm kidding. Oh, okay. wow. Um, oh, man. I don't know. Like. He's not, like, established as, like, a number one guy. Yet. I mean, like you said, he's that kind of Swiss army knife. I think he's, like, almost like an upgraded version of Cordero Patterson at his very best, mm. if, if that's what he does end up being. So, I don't know, a team on the rise who needs somebody to rise with them, uh, which, I mean, oddly enough, I mean, it makes sense that he is a giant. But, you know, if he wants out, I don't know, man. I think a team like the Colts who could use another weapon, I think would, would value very much from having a guy like him. Um, you know, they'd probably have to give up. I wouldn't have to go up a first firm or anything like that. I mean, it'd be like a mid-round draft pick that they could get, maybe a couple picks. So if you pair Tony with Matt Ryan and get him in that offense with Pittman um, and Jonathan Taylor, I think that would be fun. Um, So, yeah, Indianapolis. They've already had a really good offseason. Might as well make it a little bit better and get a guy like Tony. I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm going to watch maybe every
0: Colts game this year for Matty Ice. Oh, yeah. what the falcons just Oh yeah, for surprise. you especially.
1: How by the way, I meant to how's that uh I might have asked you this before, but how are you just going to be, become like a side Indianapolis Colt fan for the year? Uh
0: I'm not going to do the whole Peyton Manning thing where it's like all the Colts left to Denver fans like <laughs> right <laughs> after Peyton was traded. But like will I keep an eye on the Colts? Will I watch as many Colts games as I can? For sure. Will I root for Matt Ryan especially come playoff time like will my emotional energy be Uh, transferred briefly to the Colts this year? Probably, yes. Because there's no reason to emotionally engage in what the Atlanta Falcons are going to trot out uh, on the field this fall. Like, it will basically like, I have no expectations. Like, this is going to be a bad team. There's no way they can't be a bad team. We don't have a quarterback in play who is going to be a long-term guy. Like, this is a bridge year. This is a bridge year, Evan. I'm sorry to say. Marcus Mariota, bridge guy. Not that guy, huh? He's not that guy. Forty-seven-year-old
1: um, Marcus Mariota.
0: Exactly, and this is just a year not like, like not like
1: physical age, Evan. Yeah. Just the fact that I, he I looks was gonna like say I watched
3: him while he was mm. playing in college. I take offense. It's just to the gray that. hair. Yeah, no, it's um, just the gray hair. He's, I I will say this. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it reminds me of when Alex Smith went to the Colts or the Chiefs. Yeah. Played the Colts in the playoffs. That was a fun game. Where it's like it's a different division, different mm-hmm. conference. There's no stakes. I can just enjoy him having fun, which I think he deserves. Right. Right. I think Matt Ryan deserves to go to a team that wants him, that he can just enjoy the rest of his career.
0: Right. And a realistic chance of, you know, making some noise in the AFC. I mean, the AFC
1: is going to be loaded, but. No, you no, know, he's
3: not making any noise in the AFC. That that the conference is insane.
1: I think they could win one playoff game. Like yeah. if they if they ended up winning the AFC South, um, and we look at which like they the, should. They should. I think I think they're the best team in that division by a solid margin. Um, you know, we could talk about Tennessee, but I'm not a Tannehill guy. Right. Um. So if they ended up being you know the four seed, maybe if they end up facing a team like like Vegas, I think that they'd be a good. I think the Colts would be a tough matchup for Vegas. Mm. So if it'd be something like that, now if they face a team like. If Denver doesn't win the division and they're the five seed, that would be a little bit tricky. Even in Indianapolis, like they'd have the, the benefit of not having to go to, to mile high.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but, yeah, if they had a good matchup, I think that they could pull one off in the playoffs. But then you know, they'd face a team like Kansas City or Buffalo, um, and that would be a little bit more tricky. But, yeah, no, I think that they could win at least one game and at least be fun to watch this year. We'll see.
0: I uh, Either way, I'm pretty excited. Um, and we'll end on this front so i want to get y'all's perspective on this um so i came up with a list of five coaches that i think have the most pressure to win going into
1: 2022. i love your list by the way because last <laughs> time it fired up evan and it was hilarious this i i don't know if this will fire up evan we'll see um
0: I'm so i'm gonna go to be fired up right now <laughs> i kind of want to hear what evan would sound like fired up like he whatever's left of his voice will just uh dissipate and he's just like i gotta call out from work tomorrow like he's just He's not gonna be able to communicate outside of like uh texting and email. Um to so the five coaches with the most pressure to win for me going into next year. Number five, Frank Reich in Indianapolis, four, Ron Rivera in Washington, three, Matt LaFleur in Green Bay, two, Matt Rule in Carolina, and then my number one, Mike McCarthy in Dallas i uh i think he's like in a tier of his own where i think anything (laughs) less than winning the division and a playoff game he's out they gotta go to the super bowl i don't think he has to go to the super bowl but i think he has to win a playoff game i think he has to do that the Uh, only thing
3: that is helping mike mccarthy not to like diverge but like he's got great coordinators yeah he's gonna ride on the wings of that eagle for as long as possible
0: But see, the problem with that, though, is that they do have that, and they were able to keep Dan Quinn, and they have in-house options if they want to move on. The part of the problem of having these great coordinators in-house is that, like, if you're not getting the job done, guess what? Jerry Jones has no problems promoting from within. Like, Kellen Moore or Dan Quinn being the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys is probably more likely than not. It's just, when is that going to be? Is that next year? Is that two years from now? It will depend on what Mike McCarthy does with this group this year. And I, I'm i dubious. And I, losing Amari Cooper is not the end of the world. But this is a team that I think was built to win last year. And now they're going to be a good team this sh- upcoming year. I think they'll be good. But I don't think they'll be as scary and as dominant as they were last year. And I think the Niners, Evans Niners, really ruined a lot of stuff in Dallas, but I, I don't know, Jared, do you, do you agree with that list? Do you like those five? Good.
1: I, oh, Jesus. God, that scared me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I like the list. Now in terms of McCarthy, though, no, I think this is a swan song in Dallas. Um, Mike, now the thing with the Cowboys is, oh, I can actually bring a basketball reference into this. Okay. So the, the way that the Joneses run, Dallas It's the same way that Gar Foreman and John Paxson used to run the Bulls, is that they want to hire head coaches that they can use as their puppets and aren't going to speak out and try to take control of things. That's why it didn't work out with Jimmy Johnson. That's why it didn't work out with Bill Parcells, because Jerry Jones wants somebody that isn't going to really stand up. He's just going to be there, happy to be there, happy to be the coach of the Cowboys. That's why Jason Garrett was there for so long.
3: Mm. And
1: so, I mean, Mike McCarthy could very well be there for a while, just because... Jerry Jones knows he's got nothing to worry about in terms of, you know, being outclassed, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So they could keep him there for a while because all the blame's always going to go on uh, Mike McCarthy if things don't go well. Um, whereas if, you know, you bring in a guy who's an established head coach like they did with Bill Parcells, like they did, you know, with Jimmy Johnson. And obviously the history with that's well-documented. Um, I think that they could keep McCarthy around just for that reason in terms of guys who have the pressure to win. Uh, I like the LaFleur one especially as well, just because hmm. no one talks about Matt LaFleur being one of the best head coaches in the NFL. The dude has been fantastic. And I know people are going to point out, well, he's got Aaron Rodgers. You look at Aaron Rodgers' numbers pre-Matt LaFleur and post-Matt LaFleur, they have been astronomical. He's got two MVPs since LaFleur showed up. He's he's taken another step, and I think a large part because of LaFleur and his scheming and everything involved with that. So... Um, but the fact that they've gotten so close so many times and just can't, you know, cross that finish line and get to the Super Bowl, that is... I don't think that they would move on from him, even if they don't make it this year. Like, I still think he would be there next year. Um, so, I don't know. I'm trying to think of anybody else that would have pressure. I mean, you can't really say Nathaniel Hackett in Denver because it's his first year, yeah. even though they've got a loaded roster. Um, I don't know, Swords. is Do uh, you think there's pressure on Kyle this year?
3: No, because ultimately he's got a, what we'll call a rookie quarterback, right? It's going to be the first year for Trey Lance, and I think you're going to have to understand that there's going to be bumps and bruises that come with that. Just like Kittle said today, right? Like, he has to go out there and face competition. He has to, you know, get hit. He's got to figure it out, right? Eat it. He played very little in college. Um, but ultimately, I think we've talked about it ad nauseum, but there is no better situation for Trey Lance to be in. And mm-hmm. I think... You know i'm an eternal optimist when it comes to the football especially with my 49ers so i could be wrong uh but i expect trey lance to absolutely destroy the nfl this year i think his talent yes sure that could be why but he's walking into a team with brandon iuke and george kittle who are just a quarterback's favorite human being on earth right they can catch everything at every radius Debo can too but i don't expect him to be here and honestly, I didn't, you know, I'm very happy with Debo leaving if that's the attitude he's had. So, if we can get a first round pick and you want to take a receiver, awesome. Rookie contract again. There's a lot of talent there. I, I think Kyle's going to, he's just got so much credit on his ledger. Like, dude, he's gone to a Super Bowl already. Like, the team's roster was non existent when he first got there. I've I've got my my issues with Kyle, and you know one day we'll 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 duke it out over a beer. Mm -hmm. uh, With you know I'm gonna meet him in Tahoe when he least least expects it. Um, But you know Trey Lance is gonna have an incredible season this year.
1: Can I throw one at you, Chase? How about John Harbaugh in Baltimore? Ooh, because one the Lamar extension is gonna be talked about until it Mm -hmm. happens. Two. You look at everything that the AFC is right now. We've talked about it on this show multiple times. You look at the absolute firepower at the quarterback position that is in that conference alone. You know, in that division alone now with Burrow and Watson. And then, obviously, Josh Allen, um, everybody in the AFC West. Like You can scream MVP Lamar all you want. That was now three years ago. Eventually, he's going to have to rise above this and drag this team to a deep playoff run. And possibly a Super Bowl, because for as much as for as much defense as he gets, you know he's won one playoff game. He's played poorly and two more. Like, if they are a one and done in the playoffs this year, I think that that is reason for Eric DaCosta. Now I know that they've been outspoken and saying, yeah, I mean we would you know like to extend the Mar we're just not talking about it right now. But if they're one and done in the playoffs again, I think that every I think that Harbaugh, I think DaCosta are going to be like, do we want to give him this money? I think that that's something that's definitely going to be talked about if they get bounced in the wild card round.
3: Listen, I am a huge Lamar Jackson fan. I want Chase, by the way. I, I think you're much better suited to answer this in the end. So I'll no, Robres, yeah. Um, I, I'm a huge Lamar Jackson fan. He's so easy to root for. I love the guy. He's incredibly exciting. But I I think the the kind of thing that no one is really willing to admit is just like...
0: Representing yourself a bad idea.
3: He's just not going to be... He's not going to be the quarterback. I don't think he's going to be ever be a quarterback that can win a Super Bowl. I think Ooh, I disagree. Let's with just that.
0: let's
1: just say that There's he's a let's just there. let's just say the exactly. Let's just say the obvious truth is that he's not an elite passer.
0: Yeah, No. but you don't have to be an elite passer to win a, a Super Bowl. I think we've seen where he can go on a run. Where I just the way they this offense is just completely geared around him, the playmakers they have out wild, the, the out wide, the speed they have out wide the plethora of backs they have brought in if they're healthy with the J.K. Dobbins and, and company, if they're able to stay healthy, the defense being what it is, if they have a top 10 defensive DVOA and they play the way that they have played in the past with uh, but, with Brown and everybody. like but, I think there's a path. Like I think it's probably more complicated than other teams with certain right. quarterbacks, but I think Lamar has shown that there is a path. Like There is a path to him getting hot and him running the gauntlet and teams just being like, oh crap, we can't do this. But I will say... He is a quarterback. And I remember I was listening to Tailgate, I think, a year or two ago. I think it was Mike Renner of PFF who made this point that, like, the way to approach the Lamar Jackson contract stuff year-over-year is going to be really uncomfortable because the way to approach it with them if you're Eric Dacosta and you're Baltimore is you're getting franchised every year until we can't franchise you anymore, and then we're not paying you. And then you're going to go to whoever else because paying Lamar Jackson an extension and signing on to a guy who's one leg injury away – from all of his value just falling off a cliff yeah. a la Robert Griffin. Like, that is something you cannot do as a franchise. Like, it's just unfortunate that you, two things can be true. Where this year, he can be good enough to win a Super Bowl and he can be an MVP type guy. But when it ends with Lamar, with that one bad fall and one bad hit, it's gone. Like, it's the gone, gone. So he has to be treated as a year to year guy. Hold on, thing, real quick, go ahead, Evan.
3: Because I'm going to have to head out in just a sec. I just well, this is how we're ending. Yeah, this works, Evan. Lamar Jackson is not going to go toe-to-toe with these giants in the AFC. Like, he's not. He's not going to go into a playoff game and score more points than them. He can't pass like that. And, yes, he can run the ball. And, yes, he has good games. But, like, if you have to score 40 points in a playoff game, like, I'm sorry, Lamar's not doing it.
1: And let me just say this, too, because mm. I'm not saying that he can't do it at all. I mean, we saw you know, the shootout with the Colts and whatnot. He ran all over the Titans. He blew them out. Okay, that's great. He ran all over the Titans. What's yeah. going to happen when the Chiefs keep doing what they've always done and make it so they set him up in constant third and longs and he's got to make plays with his arm? Yeah. Even, la- even last year, yes. The way in which Baltimore won that game last year was really cool and it was a really great story. But if Clyde Edwards-Alaire holds onto the ball, they still probably lose. If Steve Spagnola adjusts the defense sooner, they probably lose. Not to mention the fact that they needed a record-breaking field goal to beat Detroit. Minnesota fell apart and blew two 14-point leads, two of them, in the same game, and Lamar threw two interceptions. Like, I've never denied that Lamar is fantastic to watch. He's an incredible playmaker. But when it comes down to it, like, like Evan said, I, he's proven that he can score that amount of points. Can he do it three straight times? Can he can he go into uh, the playoffs and beat Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes back to back to back, and then go into the Super Bowl and do it one more time? I just don't think he can.
0: But there's also a scenario where he has to just beat Derek Carr, um, insert Pittsburgh quarterback here, and then maybe one of those three you named. Like, hey, we don't. That,
1: that is true. That is true.
0: Um, and injuries are part of the game too. Like we don't sure. know. Like all these guys might not be healthy, and some of these teams will underperform and. I don't know. He, it's there's a lot of variables at play, and there's still a lot of football to be played before it that happens. But I still think it, you could be in a lot more perilous situation, quarterback-wise, in this league oh, than sure. Lamar
1: Jackson. Like, yeah, it's... there's there's no doubt about that. That said, though, like if you are looking at these guys in the AFC, like where are mm-hmm. you ranking Lamar right now? Because I don't think he's better than Josh Allen. Don't think no. he's better. He's not better than Mahomes. Don't think he's no. better than Russell Wilson. Would take Justin Herbert over him. I would take both Watson and Burrow over like seven, eight, maybe. Like when you put it in that type of thing, like if it was a more spread out quarterback field amongst conferences, I would like Baltimore's chances a lot more. But the fact that all of these dudes are in the AFC, that makes it a lot more difficult.
3: Absolute nightmare fuel for most quarterbacks. Yeah. Yeah. All right, boys.
0: Evan Swartz, 49ers have play on Twitter burner underscore swords Jarrett Bailey J Bailey NFL anything we need to plug as we wrap up here tonight
1: nah, yeah just follow myself Sports Illustrated USA today fan site and all that fun stuff there you go
0: Evan49ersub.com all that good stuff and then uh, his Twitter for all and kinds it, of great content shout
3: and Instagram out to, story too. Shout out to uh, White Claw Surf which I <laughs> once again will say is absolutely incredible is that a new Pedialyte? flavor okay. White Claw Surf is a brand new four flavor set and they're all they're amazing very they taste very good shout out to blackberry Aussie, um but and also shout out to pedialyte for keeping me healthy this weekend
1: yeah oh if we're shouting out drinks and whatnot or food let me just shout out uh fair life chocolate milk sponsor me um because i would love to have that as the official sponsor of the pump fake podcast by the way yeah listen to that um Mm whenever i do it next i just did one last week with jason aponte our close friend evan sowards I towards. sorry i said your name wrong jason Aponte, is don't worry about it jared he
3: is a amazing <laughs> human being i am a big fan
1: jay's my boy um so yeah go check that out that's my pen tweet talked about debo um so go do that um but yes fair life chocolate milk i would love 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 you to sponsor me um and um plain bagels with cream cheese you're my savior there you go that's a northern thing
0: bagels i'm not is a it? bagel guy aren't you know yeah, yeah, there's Dan Orlowski, apparently. No, he's not a cream
3: cheese guy. Speaking of, I got to go grab my uh, Chick-fil-A because I'm a lazy piece of shit tonight. So love you guys. Bye, buddy. Evan. Bye, Jarrett. Talk to See you all next buddy. week. Yep.
0: All right, that'll do it for this edition here on the Chase Most Podcast. Thank you again to Jay Billis, Evan Swords, and Jarrett Bailey for coming on this edition of the podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, the plethora of conversations here on the Tuesday, April 26, 2022 edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Don't forget to go check out chase uh, chasethomaspodcast.com, the HQ, uh, access to all my previous episodes, everything you need to know about this very program, chasethomaspodcast.com. Uh, go check us out on YouTube if you'd like to watch any of these episodes or keep up with the program on the visual front, youtube.com, the Chase Thomas Podcast, right there, that easy uh follow me on twitter at chase underscore thomas like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer email the program at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com and yeah sports renaissance man dot make sure you're subscribed to keep keep up with me on the writing front chase thomas podcast dot uh, com did i say that i think i said that i don't know it's late uh it's early for you guys but it's late when i'm doing this intro so uncle Derek, how do i do